<laughs> I got a story for you. I'd try to summarize it, but Danny does a better job since he's an actual professional storyteller. Trust me, you're going to fucking love it. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is that cute, quaint, corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original things you had no idea existed. Imagine, you've booked a trip to a foreign, exotic city, post-COVID kind of world. If you are anything like me, you're definitely going to spend some time walking around the city, town, hamlet, wherever you went in your fantasy, hoping to come across some dope-ass shop with high-quality original merch to remember this once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, my friends, the World Wide Web, right now, allows you to virtually travel and experience the psychedelic creativity of Andre from the comfort and safety of your home. Yeah, sorry, but we're back in the current COVID kind of world. We are talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, just about anything you could want as a distraction or just because you're not going to find it anywhere else it's right there on AndrePsyche.com waiting for you. Go to AndrePsyche.com and peruse the site for your next therapeutic shopping purchase. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You Pod. Please do me a favor. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. You are helping us to establish a listener base. And that is helping us on our quest for sponsorship and your support is so appreciated. And while you're at it, if I haven't asked for too much already, please friend or follow the Getting to Know You pod, that's all one word, on whatever social media platform you're on. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, search us up. Getting, the number two, know the letter U, pod. And finally, if you or someone you know has a business or brand, much like Andre, and would like to expand your market globally, please consider partnering with us. We at the Getting to Know You pod are downloaded and listened to from people all around the world, much like Vishal, today's guest, who is from the United Arab Emirates. This podcast has been downloaded in over 20 different countries and the majority of states in America. So if you are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more clicks on whatever, just message us. Our sponsorship rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner and get to know you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know 
Danny, who is coming to us from San Diego, which I believe is translated as Wales Vagina, if I have that correct. Uh, if you're asking me, I don't think I know that. <laughs> that's a that's a classic line from uh, Anchorman. Have you seen Anchorman? I have, maybe a hundred years ago. Got you. So yeah, he's he's he has Christina Applegate like on a cliff somewhere, and Ron Burgundy's just trying to be profound. He's like, ah, San Diego. I believe the peasants translated it as whale's vagina. And she's like, no, you dumbass. That's nothing what it means. So, All right. Then. Yeah. So I like to stick with that meaning. Let's stick with that and for the rest of the show here. Yeah, right. And um, what we'll do is develop several theories that are completely wrong as to why it makes complete sense. <laughs> no different than what we do with a lot of the theories we run our lives by anyway. So why not? Uh, right? Dude. Yes. I love that. You're that kind of person, Danny. I love that. You're that kind of person. Just so we were, we were chatting a little bit and I, I love when people are completely on board with the, Hey, we're kind of going into this blind getting to know you thing. And you are um, supportive of the concept, which I really appreciate because it, it, I always find it hard to like find that balance. Cause there's always this like nervousness or not like this on guard or offensiveness. I don't feel, but like this apprehension of like, when do we actually get to get like comfortable and kind of talk? Right. And I gotta be honest, man, going through the Facebook, your pictures and whatnot, and just talking to you for whatever, a minute, two minutes, like you seem like big Lebowski. I'm just a super <laughs> chill roll with it type dude. Yeah, well, a long time ago, I I thought about it, and I thought, eventually I'm going to get comfortable, or eventually I'm going to act a certain way. Why waste all that time? Why not just do it now? I mean, so so many people have so many different personas they try to keep up. I'm not smart enough to do that. So if I have to remember who I have to be with you and then who I have to be with somebody else and who I have to be, I'm going to, I'm going to just fall flat on my face. I'm just not that smart. So I just decided, why don't I just be myself? Why don't I just sort of play and have fun in life and get through it and sort of enjoy it and, and see what happens. And, and if people like me, great. You know, I love, I love, I love to have friends and have people like me. And if they don't like me, just as great, because I love when people don't like me. Sometimes you know, <laughs> I'll say, boy, you're a creep. And I'll say, hold it, hold it. You, you, don't, you don't get to come right up into the top front of the line. There's like a long line of people you got to stand behind. Just get in line. You'll have your chance. And tell, <laughs> and tell me what you think. And it normally, they normally go, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? I said, no, I'm just teasing. You know, there's no <laughs> Dude, that's, you're, um, you're coming with the fire early. Danny, like that's, um, well, Well, what did I just say to you? Why wait? Right. Right. No, dude, but that's so, and I don't know, um, like, is it overstating it or hyperbolic to say it's profound, but that's something, honestly, I hadn't given a ton of like self-reflective thought to, but, um, man, I I had a guest on cliff who's from a HBCU, um, from Delaware, a Delaware native. And um, spoke about code switching, how people have to act different ways in different scenarios. And specifically, he was referring to how black people feel this way about how they can't be themselves because of the racism, the, the fear of consequences for that. But I love what you said with trying to just eventually people become comfortable with themselves. It's like you're 
you just accept your grandfather for saying all types of like crazy shit when he's old and he gets a pass because it's like, oh, he's lived life. He's old. But you you went with the mentality of like, why wait? Like, why not just be that now? And I'm, yeah. I hadn't given that much thought, but I think that's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. And it's not to say that people shouldn't be a little protected sometimes. Like certainly in the world we're living in right now, I can understand why a black man might want to, want to not show up a hundred percent as he is out of fear that something could happen to him. And yet something's happening to him, whether you do that or not. And the other thing is you don't know when you're going to meet a mofo like me, who's going to just be completely happy with you showing up the way you are. And so how about those people in the world that just like, not only, not only want you to be who you are and salute you for being who you are and encourage you to be who you are, but then feel a little bit robbed when you, don't show up that way because they could have gotten to know you in another way more. And, and you could have just had more fun together. Man, that is, so I often refer to myself as like, I do feel I have some autistic traits because I don't understand like underlying meanings on things, especially at work and stuff. I'm like, I, I, are you hinting at something or do you want me to do something? Cause if you want me to do something, just tell me and I'll do it and I'll do it to the best of my ability. I have no problem. But like when I have to interpret, it really yeah. screws me up. And yeah. I, I, dude, I just, I, I love that message of, I encourage you to be you because I feel robbed if I'm not getting you. And it just makes shit so easier, right? Like it's yeah. just, you know where you stand, you know what people are. And it's, it's awesome when you can get with people who, are okay with whatever you are defining how you want. Like I'm cool with that, man. Right. Yeah. You know, they used to say that when they were building a road, I don't know if they still do it anymore. They would bring bulls out onto the pastures and they would watch the way the bulls walked because bulls have a natural capacity to never overwork when they could find a simpler way of getting there. <laughs> and they would lay the roads right in the in the way the bulls bulls um, walked their paths. Wow. So I guess somehow I, I you know I'm bullish on something. I guess I guess that's what you know. I'm I'm just lazy and and it's I just try and take the simplest, quickest way to get it wherever I can go without. And that one change that I have to say has changed in the last few years is. I'm taking more time now in the steps between the start of my trip and the end of my trip. I used to race through those because I was so set on getting to my destination. But what I realized is I lost most of my life because most of my life has lived between the start and the end. Mm, But I was racing through it, not really taking the time to enjoy it. It's a pretty world we live in when, when we can see it as what it is. And it, it has ugly places, but even the ugly places are sort of when you just sit with them and love them and accept them, there's something that comes from that. It It's so true. And I'm not sure when this pod will post, but with the George Floyd protests, yeah. not compared to the looters, but the, the people out there truly protesting, the t- talk about finding beauty in places of anguish with just stopping looters from being jerks. If you watch some of the videos of people assaulting these looters or calling them out or physically stopping them from cracking streets 
to like enhance or, or agitate when yeah. they're trying to get their message across or the speeches, the talks that are going on between the people who are protesting to just encourage the youth or the older um, gentlemen, ladies, giving their wisdom, the, the social media awareness, like it, it, it's a shame it had to come from that, but it is a beautiful thing and it can be overlooked, right? If you're just like, if social reform were to just wake up, boom, it happened, you could, you would miss out on the beauty that allowed it to happen. And th that would be sad, to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I agree with you for the most point, but look, we've been putting up with this shit for 400 years. And, and we just, <laughs> we just as white males, I, I, I have to say I'm embarrassed to be the race that I am. And I'm embarrassed to be a, a white male so often of the time. We have walked into situations and just in, in an entitled and um, in an entitled uh, prejudiced way, where we think the world does us a living. And and you know what we've done? We've created a world where people aren't people; they're things. Oh, right. And and we and we treat things differently than we treat people. And so, if someone's black and they're not a person, they're a thing. Well, it's okay then to do something like that. If, if a, a Jewish person is a thing, not a person, then it's okay to, uh, to kill six million things right. because they're not really people who feel anything. And somewhere along the line, I don't know where in the world it happened that we allowed color of skin, religious belief, the amount of money that we have, the border that we live behind. The church or synagogue or, or, or mosque that we go to, we've allowed that to take over and believe that that's the core value of what a person is, rather than actually just what a person is. We all, the label. We, all we all just want to be loved and accepted, right? We all just want to be listened to and heard. We all just yeah. want to be acknowledged and validated. That's all we want. No, and I... I I feel like that almost connects to your enjoying the process versus um, rushing to the end because yeah. you hurry up to almost label or you feel like I can stereotype you or I can know you because you go to this church or because you're behind, you're behind this border or because you are this color and you jump to that versus going through the process of getting to know someone or having that relationship. Yeah, and I don't mean to get too heavy too quickly, but why not, right? No, dude, yeah. I, I like I, I enjoy it to be honest. Okay. With you. Yeah. So so truth of the matter is we don't even spend that quality of time with ourselves. Oh. Like one of the things that I do on my website, I say I say it's such an honor for me to reintroduce people to themselves. And that's really the work that I do. Because we get so caught up in who we think we're supposed to be that we've forgotten who we are. Years ago, I, told, I used to tell a story. And we were from the East Coast. We're from Philadelphia. And my dad passed away. And when my dad passed away, my mom then passed away two years apart. And it's all in the book that I wrote. I fabulized the story into a, so that it wasn't quite my story. And it's in the book that I wrote called The Mosaic. But... During the year, my, my mom, my dad passed away on July 4th when I was 13 years old. And my mom passed away two years later on July 4th when I was 15 years old. I don't even want to tell you my birthday, man. 
I'll be honest. July, with you. Is it July fourth? It's fucking July fourth, man. If you, okay, if, good. If, Maybe I have something nice to look forward to, dude. If you, uh, yeah, I, 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 did either pass away in nineteen eighty one? Because if so, I may freak out. Um, they passed. No, they didn't pass away. They, okay. they were, they were gone. But they might have re- take, might have taken them that long to reincarnate. Dad, how are you? No. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, dude! Talk about something trippy. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. Man. But but so in the year between, <laughs> it was my dad passed away in '68, and my mom in '70, and so in the year of '69, 1969. My mom had friends in New York and she took us to, she took me for an afternoon to visit and they sent me to the theater so that they could have fun. And I was a 14 year old kid walking on the streets of New York by myself. And they, they bought me a ticket to go see the show hair. And I, I just thought I died and went to heaven, but I love New York so much. And because I was from Philly and, I, and because I have this sort of Eastern accent, and I sort of have this New York way about me. People would always say, are you from New York? So I, I sort of got sick of just saying, no, I'm not. And so I made up a story. <laughs> and, and I said, you know what? For a little bit of time, my mom just thought her friends were in New York and she liked, she liked being with them and she, my dad wasn't around. So we got a little, a little place in Soho. When Soho wasn't the ritzy place that it is, it was Soho. There were so many hoes, they called it Soho. And there was crack needles and things like that all around. And she got a little place. And, you know, I remember walking to school through crack needles and, and whores sitting on the street corners. And I, and I told that story probably for five or ten years until I was in the middle of the story. And I said, hold on, hold on. I've told that story to myself so many times that I actually believe that we did that. But we didn't live one day of our life in New York. That story is completely made up and it's time for me to own that it's made up and tell you that there's no truth in it. Um, what made the origin of the story? You just were like, like, isn't it just, Oh, you're from New York. It's like, no, I'm from Philly. Like, yeah, what I, kept, made- I kept saying, no, I'm from Philly. They said, no, you're from, you, you know, you remind me of a guy from New York. So I said, okay, yeah. So I'll be from New York for a little while. Oh and, and, and I don't know that it just became like an interesting story. I think I might have played it as a joke one time and people believed me. And I thought, okay, well, why not? Oh, God. Yeah, right. Gotcha. But, but forget about that story. Do you know how many other stories I've told myself that I believe over and over again? Oh, wow. That just have no truth to them at all. And I'd like to ask your listeners, how many stories are you telling yourself on a daily basis every single day for years on years on years that just are not at all true? I just had a coaching call with a woman that I work with and and she something happened to her and she made up a story and I said, okay, um, is there any chance in the world, like even a small chance, I know you probably have the story right. But is, it, is there any is there any chance in the world, even the smallest possible chance? Is that the nice way to say it? Yeah, maybe that, <laughs> that, that, that there might be another story. And she said, of, "Of course there is." I said, "Okay." She said, "But it's not." I, I mean, I think what I'm saying is pretty true. I said, "I get that. I, I'm sure it is." But however small that little that little crack is in that wall, yeah, the gap that you put up, whatever that is, will you peek through it, or if you can, will you walk through it and just tell me what's on the other side? So, and she, no, I, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No, go ahead. You can do whatever you need to do. No, I, I, um, 
and it's something I almost apologize on every podcast because we're not looking at each other. We're just on audio because it helps with the Wi-Fi and the um, call connection. But you can't read body language, and I always feel like a schmuck when I um, interject in someone, but or over someone. But I had a question. Um, like, do you believe in an absolute truth, or do you believe that there are multiple truths? Um. Yes. <laughs> To both? What, what, like, yeah. what, Jesus, not, I, I don't know yeah. if I can ask that again in a different way. Yes, um, because when you, for me, I can only tell you what happens in my life. There are certain things that I, that, that I believe and I think are true so much that I would call them the absolute truth. But the beauty of the life that I'm living now is that I'm starting to associate more and more with people of unlike minds, people who don't see the world the way I see it, people who look at exactly the same thing that I see and see something entirely different, entirely different. And normally, you know, we spend so much time finding our like-minded communities and defending the belief systems of our like-minded communities. That might be called Democrats or Republicans. It might be called Americans and Mexicans. It might be called, you know, rich people and poor people. It might be called Jewish people and Christian people. It might be called Muslims and Hindus. It might be called anything you want, women and men. We, we find those people that are like-minded. And, and I remember when I first found my like-minded community, I was a lone voice. It was hard to be heard. And I found these people that were just like as crazy and wild as I was, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, my God, I think I died and went to heaven. These people, they get me. They understand me. This feels so good. Were those the hoes on Soho? No, no I wish they were. <laughs> no, they, they, weren't. <laughs> they weren't, unfortunately. Um, but, but other people probably would have thought they were because we, we were the hippies of the 60s and the 70s, right? So, so probably people thought that there wasn't that much distinction between it. But for me, there was like, oh, my God, these people see the world in a way that I see the world. And for a little while, it was really fun. And it was really good and it felt so comfortable to be around people that I didn't have to defend my points of view with. Was it so appealing? Cause it was just, so if, if I go, what do I know? And again, I'm, I'm, what am I? I'm turning 39 this summer. So hippies, you do a bunch of drugs, you love everyone. You don't really value material possessions and you're really stinky cause you don't use deodorant. Like <laughs> those would be the four t- tie-dye maybe you throw in there like those would be the stereotypes that if someone came up to me and said man i found acceptance in the community of hippies i would throw on them am i like how wrong am i thinking that way or did it just come down to the love and love and peace you you tell me now with that notion that you just cast out you tell me how right or wrong you think that that connotation is Well, I haven't smelled you, right? Um, It's clearly intelligent. The education, I want to say it might be a lot of like, we're just going to fucking hang out, smoke weed and like philosophize on life and truths and just talk about shit. And if you're cool with just hanging, then you're cool with hanging and we're fine with you hanging around us. So I would go, yeah, with the drugs and yeah, with the love. So, so 
in in like everything when you said is the truth absolute or is it you know many different truths here would be a great place to say yes right because uh-huh. for me every community of hippies that i knew or, or was a part of or mixed as i traveled around the world and i met up with were all different some had short hair some had long hair some some were republicans some were democrats some had a lot of money some had no money some did drugs some didn't do drugs some drank and some didn't drink some listened to the to a certain type of music and some didn't listen to that type of music i think the one thing that we all shared in common if i could be if i was really asking myself to examine what it is that i loved about it it was a group of people that didn't see the world the way their parents saw the world. Oh. They saw the world in a different world, and they didn't think they had to go into that world. And they felt that there could be a world where people don't take advantage of other people. They just love each other. And it, could we create a world based on love? Could we create a, a, a world based on harmony? Could we create a, a love based on what binds us together rather than what separates us. And the truth of the matter is in the mosaic, that's what the mosaic is. That's the book that I wrote in a, in a strange way. The book that I wrote is a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of that place called heaven. Oh, what a great concept. Right. That's so, great but the people, thank you so much. But the people he meets are not the rabbis and the ministers and the, and the swamis and the gurus and the shamans and the medicine men and the aborigines elders. They're the trash men and the road worker. They're the street artist and the blind woman and the homeless man and, and the flower girl. And he looks at himself and he wonders, why am I meeting these people? They don't seem like they can show me what heaven is. And he hears a voice from inside him say, whatever it is, you're here with them. Why not just give them the honor of spending time with them and just listening to them? And just sit with them and listen to them and take your time and hear what they have to say. And Sean, do you realize that in every single case where I did that and where Mo did that in the book, the person that he saw after sitting with them for just a few minutes was entirely different than the person he thought he saw when he came up to him at first. Oh, well, like how I, I, I can I be bold and say, Why like, not? and say, I feel like that would be a universal truth. Okay. Where you could but, walk up to someone with your bias, with your stereotype, with your perspectives. And yeah. if you actually sat with them, and listen, maybe not spoke, maybe not told them where they were wrong, but tried to understand where they were right. That's what I said. Yep. Yeah. They, I, I, I think you would always walk away thinking, wow, I didn't expect that. Totally. So now think how many people do that today. Oh, barely none, man. Okay. You can't. And then, you can't. And, then, and then let's extend it out a little bit more because this is what happened for me is it happened to me because – when it happened the first time, I just thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a rotten judge of character. The, the next person's probably going to be what I think they are. But it happened over and 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 over again. Until I sat with myself and I said, hold it. The world I see isn't the world that it is. It's just the world I see. 
Like I see myself. I don't see, I see what I see. I don't see what the world is. Right. So what would the world look like if I actually saw what it was rather than who I was? What what would what would that what what do I now know that I thought I knew before, but what don't I know anymore? And at that moment, I looked over to the right and I saw a monk unzipping the sky <laughs> and inviting me through the sky, the hole in the sky, into a parallel reality where he introduced me to the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic. And I'm going to pause in my story of that now because hopefully it's intoxicating enough of a story at that point that someone might say, boy, I want to read what happened. <laughs> or take what he was taken to get there. Or take what he was taken to get there. <laughs> and, and so, but imagine, so imagine without taking any drugs, without doing any liquor, without doing any anything other than just using the beauty of our own imagination, just like I did to the woman I was coaching today. Imagine if the story you're telling isn't the only possible story. What would another story look like? What would this world look like if you got out of the way and let it tell you what it wants, wants you to see? When I wrote my book, The Mosaic, I was writing about characters that I met. I left, I left America. I was offered the opportunity after my parents passed away. I moved in with my aunt and uncle. And my uncle was my mother's sister married a man. So he wasn't my uncle by blood. He was my uncle by marriage. But he was my aunt. He was my aunt was my blood aunt. And my, he, was, he was married to her. He became a household name over the years just before I got there. And he looked at me and he said, um, I don't have any sons, so I'm going to watch you for a month or a month and a half and see what you're made of, because I don't know you that well and you don't know us that well, because you lived in Philadelphia and we lived in the Midwest. And so I said, okay, that's fine. I, don't, I have no problems with that. And about a month and a half later, he sat me down and he said, Danny, I'm going to offer you the opportunity of a lifetime. I want you to go into the office tomorrow and I want you to start working. We'll pay you minimum wage to start pushing a broom. And we're going to allow you to raise to the level that you can raise to on your own. But here's the beautiful thing. This is my company. It's a billion dollar company. I'll mentor you through every step of the way. I believe from what I'm seeing that in 10 years, you're 15 now, within 10 or 15 years, by the time you're 25 or 30, you're going to be sitting in my seat running a billion dollar company and I'm going to be able to retire. What do you think? Should we go to the broom closet now and get the broom? Oh, what fuck yeah. You? Fuck yeah. Huh? Yeah. Fuck okay. yeah, man. Not, oh. not, not only the broom, the overalls, the mop bucket, <laughs> the car, where's the Windex? Like I'm making sure that bitch is stocked every day. I'm showing up a half hour early. I'm trying to have the whole place clean before my man logs in, you know, okay. before the okay. keys hit the door, I, I want to do the ambition, but I feel like that's almost, and again, just, just going down. If you're 15 at that, and then we're doing the hippie stage thing, like <laughs> it's in your head. And, and that's kind of the ends, right? Cause immediately 
you go to the ends. By 30, there's my end. I'm in yes. charge of this. And your mind thinks of everything that the end is going to get you. But if you can't enjoy the ends while going through it, then the ends will be unfulfilling and you're going to be empty and you're going to be unwhole and you're going to just keep craving more and you're never going to actually enjoy. It's maybe, always going to be a maybe, treadmill. Maybe, but those are a lot of stories built up around something that may or may not be true, right? And so I bet my uncle, my, what you just did through the process of your answer to me when I asked you that question is you proved how brilliant my uncle was. Because I said to him, hey, you know something? I can't go to the broom closet tomorrow with you. Oh, no. I said, it took you a month and a half to watch me. And you're brilliant. You are such a wise man. You're smart. You know how you instinctively feel people and know people. I'm a 15-year-old kid. What do I know about anything? I would like to be with you for a year and watch you. And I would like to see if I want to be the person you're, you're offering me to be. You hit him back with it, dude. That's like, <laughs> I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like Superman hitting you with his, like the, the rays coming from his eyes and you're like whipping a mirror out right at the <laughs> moment, reflecting it back on him and being like, no, 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 really. And what a power move for a 15 year old. Yeah, but it wasn't meant. The beauty of it was it wasn't meant as a power move. It was really meant from an in it. I was an innocent, naive right. kid, and I just it was for me. It was like I don't even know who this man is. I, 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 they lived fifteen hundred miles away from us. I barely ever saw them. They have a nice house. It looks pretty, but I don't know anything about this. So, and we were a lower middle class family. We grew up in totally different values, and now I was suddenly in one of the elite families in the country. And that and he kind was, of and he was you offering out, huh? me everything. Why did that give you pause? Because I just didn't know what it looked like. You know, if you go, if you suddenly are asked to move to Swahili or, or, or where, to Africa, and you've never been to Africa, there might be some trepidation with you because you don't know what happens in Africa. If you, if we as a, we as a nation or people, maybe not even as a nation, maybe it's, inherent in every human being we're scared of the things that we don't know and just think about it anytime you have a choice where you can make a decision based on do you run to the things you don't know or do you run back to your certainty so i just said hey you know something it's not that i'm scared i'm not that i'm upset i just want to get to know you a little bit and i want to see what it is that you're offering me and i watched him over the course of a year but what he said to me is Danny, do you realize that 99.99999, say nine until you almost drop dead, <laughs> percent of the people would have said, I, I want to do just what Sean said. And you and they would have jumped right in and done it. And they would have not only gotten the broom, they would have they would have polished the broom. They would have made the floors so you can eat off the floors. And I said, Yeah, just our rotten fucking luck that I'm the point oh 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 oh, oh <laughs> I mean, how weird would that be that I'm just that one little creepy guy? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, it is weird. And you got to be careful and you got to be careful of it. But it's also the thing that, in that intrigues me about you. So I'll give you a year. And as I'm telling the story now, it's all sort of seems like, 
who would have done what I did? It's just stupid and crazy. And just, you know, why would you give up a billion dollar opportunity just because you wanted to see who a person was? Get over yourself. Just do the stuff you have to do and, and, and live the life that's been handed to you. But I didn't do that. And then a year later, he came to me and he said, I want to take you out to lunch. And he said, I, we're sitting at the lunch table and he and we took me out to a nice restaurant. You know, I think we went not to a nice restaurant, but Kansas City is, is where he lived. And it was known for ribs, barbecued ribs. And we went to like a, this big, this fabulous black ribs place, you know, place in the, in the center of downtown. And he sat with me with a with us both sort of wiping our fingers off from this, the ribs and said, I'd like an answer to my question. And being the arrogant sort of know-it-all kid that I thought I was at that point, I said, you got to ask me a question before I can give you an answer. I don't know what your question is. <laughs> what a dick move. <laughs> right? I was just, that's how I was. What the hell? But, but, so, but told in this context where it's too long a story, but in the long story, it still is in context. Like, why would I remember that this was the day that he's asking me that question? I just told him, come back in a year. But a year was a long time in the life of a 15-year-old. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't remember that was the day. He said, so you forgot the question I asked you a year ago? I said, I said I'm sorry. No, I didn't forget that question at all. I have, I have, I have a possible response for you. But what I need, I just didn't remember that this was the day one year later, but I see the way you think. And I will always remember when I tell you a date that I will always remember to be ready on the date that I told you to do that. Sounds like a businessman. Yeah. And so suffice it to say, I said to him, I've got three questions for you. And I think the way we answer these questions is going to determine where I go. And he said, um, okay, again, 99.999% of the people would have had a yes or no. At the end of those three questions, we both decided together what? that it wasn't the place I was supposed to be. Please tell me you're now going to say the three questions. I can but I wasn't planning to. Would Come you on, like man. No, dude, gee, like, uh, uh, I'm trying to do the polite thing and like not ask about the company because I feel like that's kind of like a schmucky thing to ask. Yeah, but, I can't tell you the company yeah. because because I said it somewhere in some in some show that I was on and my my family thought that I was using their name to better myself. Oh, got you, got you. And I, and I said to them, Anybody who has any any sense of at all would think I'm just an idiot. So by saying your name and saying this opportunity, they would think I'm just the dumbest person in the world. So believe me, it's not to better myself. But I, I made a pact with them that I wouldn't say the name of the company, and it really doesn't matter. It, it's an it's an internationally uh, household name. Okay. Um, and so, but no, the three questions, like what, what, what does a 16 year old ask this guy? Who's I don't know, you want to romanticize it, but like trying to hand the keys over or trying to find like an heir, right? Like an apprentice, yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. within his bloodline. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you the questions simple. I said to him, do you remember that, um, you, that your wife threw a party for you for your birthday? And do you remember there must have been 400 people in the backyard here 
celebrating your birthday with you. And I came up to you on your birthday and I said, happy birthday. And I said, how good must it feel for you to know that you have 400 people that love you and care about you and come here to celebrate your birthday with you. And I said, do you remember what you said to me? I'm going to try and paraphrase it, but you tell me if I'm right or wrong. You said to me, Danny, these people aren't my friends. If I didn't have any money, if I lost all my money tomorrow, none of them would be here. I felt like that was going to be his answer to that. Yeah. So he said, these people don't love me. They love my money and they're buying me because they think they're going to get some of it. So I looked him in the eye and I said, can you tell me why you want to give me that gift? Oh. Why would you want to give me the gift of not knowing that the people that I love and can say that they love me really love me or just are using me for the opportunity to have the money that I have? He said, okay, this isn't going well. What's the second question? <laughs> can Before you get to that second one, yeah, I like I kind of want to think on that a little bit because that's and I'm I'm nowhere at the point where I feel that way where like people are using me for what I can give them, but I often feel for people above me as far as like even authorities and what I work or anyone of influence that they're like not emotional intelligence, but that they, they just fucking have to be riddled with doubt of who can I trust? Who is here for me and who is here for what I can do or what I can give? And that does have to fucking suck, man. I mean, it really does. Just It goes against everything that I think people were built on, which is trust and unity, tribalism. So I agree with you, except I don't agree with you. I, I love when you do that. Every time, every time I say something, say yes and no. Yeah, because because the premise of what you're saying is true. But there's nothing in the world that we're bound by that has to happen. And when we have control over ourselves, when we know ourselves, when we really are at peace with ourselves, that can never happen. So if you're at peace with yourself with all this influence and money and you're in that room of 400 people, you're, are you trying to say like you don't – it doesn't matter whether or not that they're you, there for you? So, so have you ever been in a room where somebody has walked in and their influence has changed the, changed the opinions and changed the thoughts and changed the feeling of the room? I, I – I don't go to enough cocktail parties to, to be honest with you. No. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever seen <laughs> But I understand somebody, what you're getting at. Have you ever seen somebody walking down the street? Have you ever seen a beautiful girl and you might be feeling terrible and then you see this beautiful girl and you suddenly feel incredibly good? Yeah. Because she, she looks at you and she smiles and, and all of a sudden, in a moment, you, you feel different than you did before. Yeah, man. I'm with you. Okay. There are certain people that walk into a room and are affected by the way the room is. And there are other people that walk into the room and affect the room. Right. 
and they can be the ugliest people. You know this. You've walked into places where the most beautiful people in the whole world are there, and everybody initially wants to be around them, and they spend two minutes around them, and they feel like shit. They feel like <laughs> dirty and ugly, and what a what a rotten son of a gun that person is. Like they are just mean and ugly and nasty, and no matter how pretty they look, they're just nasty. I don't want to be around that at all. And there will be other people. That's not to say every beautiful person's like that because they're beautiful people. That they're beautiful and you want to be around them too. But I've walked into rooms with people that are deformed, that are even, or, or that aren't deformed, but are ugly. And if initially nobody wants to be around them. Until you get to but, know them. But slowly more, just like Mo sitting on that street corner and talking to those people in the book of the Mosaic, when, he, when they start to get to know them, when they talk to them, Suddenly, the swell of people that gathers around them is just immense, and the beauty that radiates from them is so much more than the radiant beauty of somebody that's walked into the room before them. We have influence. We have the ability to actually, if the world can change us, we can also change the world. We just have to own it. So we don't need to be in a room of 400 people where everybody wants our money. We don't have to allow that to be the, the energy of the room. We can elevate the room. And we can tell people, we just love you. We're just going to be with you because we love you. And let's just share this love together and let's see what happens. And we get, like, let's look, let's look at it on a more basic level, okay? You do podcasts. You talk to a lot of people. I bet there are a lot of people that come on your show and within three minutes they're trying to sell what the product is. I, I don't, I don't know. Go I ahead. Maybe like, I don't know, man. Cause kind of like what you had said, you were like, Hey man, these things can last like two, three hours and maybe I'm not smart enough to pick up on it, <laughs> but I do tell them because it is kind of like, again, it's, it's cold. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to talk, but you don't want to, I don't want to overstep my bounds. So I tend to let people bring up topics and then I tend to just try to ask questions. So I guess if they have something they're trying to promote a brand or whatever, um, they would kind of be in control of that. But I, I want to say my initial reaction would be like, no, I feel like they come on with like a premise or a platform. I don't know if they're trying to sell something as much as maybe trying to express who they are or like read make sure that, they are presented the way they want to be presented. So are they presented the way they want to be presented or the way they actually are? Man, that's deep. Uh, jeepers. That, that's like maybe if they were drinking along with me after a couple glasses, they would admit it toward like the three hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not drinking along with you, but remember I'm stupid enough to know why should I waste all that time? Right. Yeah. Just get to it. Right. It just keeps coming back to it. And so, what I find in the, in the, like, I don't know what your life is like and who you talk to. I can only tell you a lot of the people that I meet will tell me so many stories of who they used to be and how great they used to be and how much money they used to make and how much, and how they were so important and how they did this and how they did that and how they've done this and how they, and who they are and how fabulous they are and how incredible they are. And it's all just built on a foundation of sand. Because when you ask them, hey, let's go out for a coffee, they say, well, I don't have money to do that. 
Wow. And, and you just watch people build up personas because we're so used to painting on the walls that surround us who we want you to think we are rather than just dropping the walls that surround us and say, hey, this is who I am. Like me, great. Love me, great. Hate me, great. Don't worry. Perception and image. Yeah. That's so true. It, it And it's funny because um, and I'm I'm kind of guessing based on the way you speak that you don't watch as much TV or shows as I do, which is probably why. I'm um, several levels below yours, <laughs> but, but Mad Men, um, something that I loved about Mad Men was the underlying message. So are you familiar with the show Mad Men? I've heard of it. I've never watched it. I'm one of the creepy people that never watched Mad Men. Gotcha. It, it's really well done in my opinion, yeah. obviously. But, I think everybody I know likes it. Yeah, but the thing that I walked away with was, again, so Don Draper, central character, he's in marketing. And you can feel his his progression realizing the influence of how he's marketing is actually affecting society. And what I enjoyed most about the show was when he got around the people who weren't central to the show, like the character that's just in it for like a 30-second whatever, and they fucking hate him. They hate his guts because he's ruining America because he's telling people how they should be. He's defining what is normal due to his marketing. And when you talk like that, that's where my mind goes is these people can feel it's the keeping up with the Joneses, right? They feel they have to posture in a particular way, but they don't know why that's important to them. They just know that's what people that I think I want to be like do. So that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so when we spend our time trying to be somebody that we think we want to be. Oh, dude, so unfulfilling. Where, what happens to the, just the beautiful, beautiful moment that comes when we finally realize we can be ourselves and it's so much easier. Uh, you're, so, and now we've kind of veered, but I like it. Why do you think people struggle with being with themselves? Is it like just an underlying message or a fear of rejection? Is it a lack of confidence? Is it a correctness thing? Let me turn it around on you. Why? Oh, jeepers, man. Come on. Why do you think they do that? Why do you do it? Well, I feel so. I feel like I answered your question in my question by stating the first thing in my question. (laughs) I think you did. Right. So, like, if if I went with so, should we talk about that for a minute? If I went with rather than just hide behind the question of it. Yeah. Right. So, if I went with my theory of people would then fear the rejection or the acceptance of I'm this way. Please, please be okay with me. Right. Like it's, it, it is, it's a very vulnerable thing. And actually, um, Dylan, who is, uh, who's from Hawaii was on the podcast. Actually, I posted today. Matter of fact, um, was talking about, and he's a wrestler. He was a D two wrestler and dudes rolling around Hawaii. He's got six pack. He's 25 years old. He's just like the, the essence of like, you got life by the balls, man. Intellectual went in the peace corps, you know, just fucking great guy. And he's like, I don't want to be this tough guy. He was physically abused by his father, mentally abused by his father. And, and he was like, you know what that all led me to, to realize? Vulnerability is true power. 
and just being okay with not being okay or being okay with being open and maybe being hurt allows me to not fear the hurt or the rejection anymore. Cause he was talking about how it's like just really screws with his relationships with um females, with his girlfriends and stuff. So yeah. all that I love say, that with his girlfriends. Um, well he said it right? he doesn't have like eight. Um <laughs> at least right. I don't believe he has eight at the current moment. But right. it was like he's had relationships ruined because he wasn't okay with what you're saying. Being himself, he almost felt like he had to be macho or you have to be blank because it's what's expected though you feel something else well why aren't you being what you feel because you're fearing that if you are that you're going to be rejected you're not going to be good enough so let me just get straight because i'm a very simple guy yeah i'm very wordy man i'm sorry i uh, know it's okay so are you saying that you and dylan would prefer to be accepted for somebody that you're not oh no 100 percent no okay. Okay, but then what chance do you have? You're going to be rejected for not being a good enough version of who you're not anyway. That's why he has eight girlfriends. That that's so, what he's realizing. No, hundred percent. Like you've got to. So be why you. not just be yourself and get rid of the? And, and if people don't like you, you just that's okay. No, not everybody's going to like you. I'm trying to take it a step further as to the motivation as to why it takes people so long to realize that. So go, so do me a favor, go deeper in what your question is. Do you really think that it's because I'm worried about what you think of me? As to why I wouldn't act, I, I feel like. Who am I really scared of? So I, I want to blame, I, I want to blame high schools, man. I want to no. blame peer groups in high schools growing up and again, okay. maybe a little bit of marketing of this like fear of being ostracized and the fear of taking risks and being an outlier because you don't want to – your world is so short when you're younger. If you find a role and you find success, you want to stay with it because it feels good. I guess, okay. that, I guess that would always – yeah, that would be the theory that I would bank on. Um, so – it may be a little deeper than your first answer, but not much. <laughs> Can I tell you a story? I love them. Yes. Okay. In my book, The Mosaic, there is a um, – Mo is traveling in, in the search for heaven. And he gets to a town, and it's nighttime. And he's about to camp down and find a place to sleep. But he's overwhelmed by the aroma of the air. And it's coming from, it's not in the town that he's in, it's coming, but it's coming from a town close by. And it's just intoxicating for him. The smell is so unbelievable that he, he almost thinks, I'm just going to go there right now. I'm not going to camp down, even though I'm tired and it's dark. I'm just going to go there. And then he thinks, but that's sort of foolish. Because even if I get there, I'm not going to be able to see anything because it's pitch black. I'm tired. Why don't I just go to sleep? And if the aroma is still here tomorrow, I'll find it. And he goes to sleep. And at the crack of dawn, he wakes up because there's nothing protecting him from the light. And he, and he hits the crack of dawn and he packs himself up. And to his, to his incredible joy, 
the aroma is even stronger now in the morning. I'm so glad it went that way. I was fearing it was going to go the other. Yeah, yeah. Well, why would you fear that it would go the other? <laughs> FOMO. <laughs> okay. 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 Fits in with the category we're talking about. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> right. But but it didn't go away. So you can you can celebrate because it didn't go away. And so he follows his nose to the next town. And the closer he gets, the aroma gets stronger and stronger. And when he arrives, he sees it's a town full of beautiful, exquisite gardens. And he finds the one garden that smells and looks even more immaculate than every other one. He can literally taste the air. The smells just, just like intoxicate his soul. The vision of what the gardens look like are so beautiful. He can feel his skin, just goosebumps all over his skin for, for how pleased he is. And it's almost as if he hears the joy of the universe singing in this garden. And the sensations are almost too much for him, so he sits down and he closes his eyes because he can't, he can't, he can't take all in, in all the senses. And he hasn't closed his eyes for more than a couple of minutes, and he feels, he feels his presence right before him. And he opens his eyes, and lo and behold, there's a man two inches away from him, looking him right in the eyes. And Mo looks at him and says, whoa, whoa, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And the man looks back at Mo, and he says, well, I know who I am. I'm the gardener of this garden. This is where I'm supposed to be. Who are you, and what are you doing here? And Mo tells him in four-part harmonies of the intoxication from the night before and how he's sitting here, and he just can't believe it. And he says to him, how is it possible that you have created something so exquisite as this? The gardener's perplexed. He's just a gardener. So he thinks about it for a little bit, and he says, well, everybody knows that if you put certain colors of flowers with other colors of flowers, it's going to make your garden look beautiful. And Mo says, I get that. I know that. I've been to a lot of gardens. I've seen a lot of color combinations. That's not what I'm talking about. And the gardener thinks again for a moment. And he says, well, you know, texture-wise, if you put smaller flowers in front of taller flowers, it gives more texture. And if you put fuller flowers behind th thinner flowers, you get more sort of dimension. And Mo says, I understand that, but that's not it either. And the gardener says, you have me perplexed. I don't know what you're thinking. He said, let me think about it a little more. And he comes back and he asks Mo a question. He says, Mo, have you ever gardened? And Mo says, not very much, but I do occasionally. I help, I help people when I stay with them or I visit them. And they ask me to weed, so I, I, I pull some weeds for them. And the gardener says, Mo, when you get to that clump of weeds that you pull out, and it breaks in your hand. And you know the, the roots of that weed go deep down into the soil. But you can level it off at the surface. What do you do? Do you still work to get those weeds out, or do you just level it off? And most says, well, it really isn't my garden. So, you know, I just make it look good for the time being. And I, I, cut, it, I cut it off as close to the surface as I can. And, and I move on to the next weed. So the gardener says, I think I got it. 
I think the reason why you see beauty in my garden is not because of what you see, it's because of what you don't see. You don't see any weeds in my garden. Because when I get to that clump of, of, of weeds, I'm just a gardener, I have nowhere else to go. So I take out my little spade and my little shovel and I just dig down until I get to the roots. And I pull the weed out by its roots. Because when I don't do that and I water my garden, I not only make the flowers more beautiful, I make the weeds stronger and more dangerous. They suffocate the roots in my flowers. And he said, you know what's really interesting, Mo? Is when I have no weeds in my garden, I never see another weed in anybody else's garden. Because they're just gone. So I wonder if you feel anything in that story. I wonder if you have a sense of when we clean our house, when we when we do when we make our garden clean, what can bother us? I know if you were to say to me, Sean, Danny, you are the best looking black man I ever met. I'm going to say you're crazy. I'm not that good looking and I'm certainly not black. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I would say this guy's like just crazy. But if you were to say to me, Danny, you're an old fat fucker. I would think, oh man, you're right. I'm old. I'm fat. Thank that God might- I'm still a fucker. That's right, and that might and that might that might hurt me, right? But if I'm if I'm clean of that, or if I'm clean, if I'm okay with being older and I'm okay with being heavier, then that won't hurt me at all because there's no weeds in that in that in my thought process about myself. Does this make any sense to you? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because. What it took my mind to was imposter syndrome, which I had not heard of, but a week ago. And it's almost like when you spot one Volkswagen on the road and all of a sudden you see them like everywhere. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of imposter syndrome where if you're, if you have this fear of you're doing something that you aren't, then it fucks with you. And that leads to that fear of rejection and that fear of being yourself because you're not confident in that's what I am. And the gardener is like, dude, I'm a gardener. It's what I do. It, I'm accepted as what I am. I do it, it. It's what I'm good at because it's what I do and it's what I do because I'm guessing maybe he's good at it, but that my mind but goes, even if he's not good at it. Oh, he's clearly so, good at it, dude. He's got well, a kid he, coming they, from a town gardener, away. Come on now. He give the gardener hold on, props. Hold on. Sean, this gardener is good at it. hundred percent. The best. But go back now to the story of me with my uncle. I might not be good at what I do, right? but I would way rather fail at being me than try and be successful being somebody else. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's the story of everybody who tries to live what they think other people want them to be. We don't live that way because we're scared that you'll criticize us, me. I'm scared of the judgment that I put on myself. I spend my whole life just knocking down myself, just telling myself I can't do it, telling myself I'm not good enough. And I'm, just, I'm talking about me 
and I'm and I'm saying and and let's let's try and put we in there because I don't think I stand alone in this. Maybe if I do, tell me. I'll go to more therapy. <laughs> okay, but I've spent a lot of years just trying to knock myself down, and so after a while, what happens is. I'm not going to let myself punch myself till, till the end of time. So I put up some walls. But the walls have to be so close to me that they actually don't let punches come in. So suddenly I'm walking around in a silo that's three inches away from my body, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, because I don't know where I'm going to punch myself and when. Man, it, so I, I'm now flex, and this is... And I love this, and I don't know if it's on brand because, again, getting to know you podcasts about you, but I love the philosophical conversations of speaking with um, superiorly intelligent individuals. So I'm thinking with those walls and stuff. You must stuff, hate this conversation. Then. <laughs> Humble brag, there's a wall. But <laughs> like, it almost makes me think of – wouldn't clear communication with misunderstanding. So to make a really simplistic thing, you think you're good at blank. Someone else comes in, says you're not good at blank in some way, or you take it as them saying that. Well, if you had 15, 20 minutes to like, the world's going to stop and we're just going to kind of like figure out like, Hey, I thought I was kind of good at this. I didn't realize you thought I sucked at this. Let's figure out why I think I'm good, why you think I suck. And there's got to be a middle ground where maybe I can enhance my own practice or enlighten you as to what I'm doing, which might help you understand why I'm actually good. Am, am I weird to go in that direction of like communication is kind of why people are fearing rejection because that open dialogue of acceptance is pretty rare. Yes and no. Oh, see, I, I knew you were going to go yes and no. The day I get you to say yes and yes, I'm just hanging up. It's over, yes Danny. As soon yes as, soon yes. as you go okay, yes and yes, that. I'm like, cool, man. Hey, thanks for coming on. Have a good one. And I'm out. <laughs> so the reason why I say yes and no is, yeah, conversation is really important. But the way you explain the conversation was rationalization. You're trying to explain to somebody why you're good at something. And you, you, if you sit with them long enough, you can get them to understand why you're really good at something. Let me tell you a story. If you can, I'm a storyteller. Do you mind me telling you another story? I'll try See, and make I, sure. You, you tell no, man. The you, you tell good stories. I just I, okay. I I'm, I don't want them to be a bedtime story for. Me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> you, no, it could be. My voice is my voice puts people to sleep. It, it, dude, it's soothing as all hell. Like I'm finding yeah. myself. I'm like, man. I'm like, I, don't, I'm, I don't know that I've ever heard all hell described as soothing, but I like that. I'm going to yeah. explore that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, no, it's it. Yeah, it's one of those weird negatives. Like, oh, dude, that's the shit. And you're like, so right. I'm good because I'm the shit? Yeah. Did, did, I remember it, growing up and people would say, man, that's bad. And I said, what do you yeah. mean it's bad? I think it's pretty good. They said, no, bad is good. Exactly. I said, then what's good? I'm like, no. <laughs> good is just good. That's, good that's, that's, good anyway. fucking sucks. You don't want to be good. You want to be bad. Yeah, so, it, it, it's one of those weird cultural things. But yes, I mean, soothing as in like, done. great storyteller, man. Go for it. Thank you. Thank you. So I have a podcast and on my podcast, I had a guy who was a storyteller. And he works with businesses to um, tell them factual stories of other people in other businesses unrelated to the business that they're in that are doing innovative things that when they see what the other people in the other business are doing, they can apply it to their business. And so 
when I said to him, okay, but do you work with salespeople and try and look at the stories they tell themselves that keep them limited? He said, no, that's, that's what a psychologist does. I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a storyteller. And, and in the true sense of storytelling, this is what a story is. And I said, okay, I, I don't agree with you, but I'm, I'm happy to hear what you say. <laughs> so so he, he said to me, I said to him, Has, have you ever believed a story that you found out was not true? And he said, yeah, yeah, I, a lot of times. But the one that comes to my mind is I played baseball growing up as a kid. I thought my life was going to be as a baseball player. And I played on a team, and my mom and dad showed up every week to the games. And, and we did pretty good. And, and, and I, I found out the other day when I was talking to him about my baseball, and now I'm a grown-up, and we, you know, we haven't talked about it in 100 years. He looked at me and he said, you sucked at baseball. It was so painful for us to come there. But we had to try and come there and cheer you on. And he said, really? He said, really? You sucked. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what happened. And so I said, so how, like, how did your team do? And he said, dude, our team won state. And I said, hold it. Your team won state? And, and you play high school baseball and your team won state. What position did you play? He said, I was the starting second baseman. I said, so step out of what your father told you for a minute. How many starting second basemen on teams that win state suck? <laughs> and he said, well, now that you put it that way, I never thought about it. I just believe my dad. Well, it depends where you're batting in the lineup, to be honest with you. If he's batting eighth, then yeah, he's probably terrible. No, but even no, I'm it, just kidding. I'm so, just kidding. I'm, right? I'm just being like devil's advocate at that point. I'm sorry. Yeah, but to be on to be the sec, starting second baseman 100%. on a state championship team, you got to be pretty good. Yeah, you don't. You definitely don't suck. Yes. Right. And it changed his whole perception of something that he grew up. He grew up thinking he was this, then his dad told him he was that, and then he went back to understanding. Oh, maybe my dad just was messing with me or something. But somewhere along the line, this is what's interesting, Sean. Somewhere along the line, we give other people the right to tell us who we are mm. when we know that's not who we are. He knew he was good. He was going. He was thinking he was going to play professional baseball. He injured his arm, and that's why he didn't play. He became a storyteller. But that isn't. But where did the authority of somebody outside of us? become more, have more authority than what we know within ourselves. And it all comes back to the same answer to the same question that I tried to get you to touch on, but you still danced around a little bit. So I'm going to just answer it because Ooh. of lack of time. We are scared to death to know ourselves. Why? Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up, but you knew that. <laughs> why, why are we so scared to know ourselves? My, my answer, for whatever the reason is, is that we've been told all along, if, let me ask you something, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being what you would love to be and what you would love your kids to be, and 0 being what you would hate to be and you would hate your kids to be, where do you place the word ordinary? Oh, wow. Shit, man. That's, you know, that, fuck. So right away I went five 
<laughs> because <laughs> but you because, don't want to make a decision no well because i'm like i'm not asking you where ordinary fits on the scale no, exa- exactly I'm saying if people were defining you if you if people went by and said yeah, oh, yeah sean sean's just well he's just ordinary yeah. would you like that Man. definition for you and your kids my or would, do, that, would be that would that be closer to zero or would that be closer to 10 fuck man <laughs> So honestly, my mind went with what does ordinary come with? Because okay. if I can be ordinary, but enjoy the life that I'm living, it's a fucking 10 all day. Matter of fact, ordinary allows me to enjoy life more because now expectations are so much lower. I can skate. I don't have to be propped up or propelled forward or given more responsibility, which forces me to do more things that I'm not trying to do. Okay. And it allows me to secure my current lifestyle because I'm not going to get fired because I'm ordinary. I'm average, right? Like work-wise, life-wise, I'm able to maintain. So now talking out loud, thinking out loud about it, I'm going to go eight. I'm going to go eight. Fabulous. So you like working in a company where everybody's ordinary? <sighs> That's what public education is all about, Danny. Okay. All right. Good. I, I love that answer. Let's go the other way. On that same scale of zero, with zero oh, being what? Shit. I, I feel, now, now I feel like I've been set up, man. I feel like you've no, done no, this no, once no, or you twice. Know what I'm just going to ask you another like question. I feel like you've done this once or twice. All right. Go ahead. Go, yeah. All right. Getting on the to same know, scale. Getting to know Sean Pod now. We're on Getting <laughs> to Know You podcast, and we feel like he always feels like he's set up. So, um, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being what you would love to be, and you would love, you would, you would be so happy if your kids were defined this way. And zero would be you would hate for your kids to be defined this way. Where would you place the word extraordinary? Where would you – Where would if someone said to you, Sean, you're extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I, I feel like that's a 10. But now I, I got a – again, like so ordinary, I went initial gut five. Now, extraordinary 10, but now the more I think about it, the more then my mind goes, if you rated a 10, is it natural ability that is allowing you to be extraordinary? Or is it like like an Olympian gearing up, winning a gold medal, but you can't maintain that type of training for your entire life, and then you feel this pressure, and then it builds to this expectation of you're seen as extraordinary and now you're feeling unfulfilled if you slide from extraordinary to ordinary. Okay. So Am what I just number, getting what number? So you gave ten. You gave extraordinary a ten a, a, with, with a, my gut, with a my lot gut. of rationalization and analysis on it. Yeah. And you gave a, and you gave ordinary originally a five, but an eight. Yeah. So you were you were not the standard answer, which was probably why you do get to know you podcasts. Um. But what most people would put ordinary at a one or a two. Really? It's, they say, I don't want to be ordinary, nor do I want my kids to be ordinary. It's who wants to be ordinary? That Nobody. low. And when I ask them, how about extraordinary? They say, oh, my God, 10, 15, 20. Can I go up to 20? I said, you can go any number you want. It's just a scale <laughs> of one. It's just a scale of one. <laughs> so they say, okay, I'll go 10, but I really want to say 20. And I'm going to say it to you even so. Less so for you because you gave it a high rating. You gave it an eight. But I say to the people that gave it a one, if ordinary is something you don't want to be, 
why would you like to be extra of something you don't want to be? There it is. And so there's something, the reason I think most people don't want to be themselves is because they believe they have to be more than they are. And they hold the bar up to themselves to be this certain persona of a person. And they believe that I've got to be better than I am and I'm never good enough and I'm never going to make it. So we grew up in a world where we're told we're not good enough. We can't do it. We never can maintain that. Even you and your story said, if he's, if even, even if he's gifted and he slips the ordinary, he hasn't maintained it. And then what's he going to feel like? But when you look out in nature, what do you see? Yeah. Fucking birds finding seeds, man. There, there's no like excellent bird seed finder. Everyone's finding seeds. <laughs> All right. And, and, and you see night turns into day and it's absolutely ordinary. Yeah. Tree, trees sun, just grow. See... All the trees grow. Like they're just yeah. an ordinary tree. The there's, trees grow. there's not one you fucking see... tree that's towering 80 feet above all the other trees. Like being like, yeah, I'm extraordinary. Look at my gold star. <laughs> and you see the sun, the sunrise is the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine. And we can every day to the, to the second. Every it's day. going to happen every day. It's the most ordinary thing in the world. Sunset the same way. Yep. And so where is it that we learned, not you, because you're like, you, you, blew the, you blew the question by being just beautifully different. But where is it that the majority of people learn that ordinary is not a good thing? So that, man, and I wrote that, shit, I might be two and a half pages deep on notes at this point, Danny. Um, and I still feel weird calling you Danny, but I try to Why? take, um, what do so, you want to call me? Call me what you want to call me. Not, well, not to be an ageist, but, and I've spoken about this before. It's just the way I was raised. I always felt I was disrespecting elders. If I spoke to them in a, if I called them by a friendly name, just how about, on, how about if I told you to call me Danny? No, hundred, hundred, and all my like friends, parents would be like, no, I'm Roseanne. And I'm like, okay, Mrs. Blank. And like, I, it's just my default. Um, so it doesn't, okay. I, 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 and I guess all that to say, like, I get self-conscious with the way I enunciate things. So like, I don't feel like I'm saying Danny naturally. <laughs> um, but anyway, I like, I wrote back about capitalism and about the country we're in that, that pursuit, you go back to billion dollar company and what do most people want? Oh, fuck yeah. I'm going to get there and I'm going to get there early. And my, my I'm going to be the best cleaner. I'm going to show this man that I deserve it and blah, blah. But we're all about the ends, right? We're all about, I want to be a millionaire. I want to, I want to be debt free. I want to own, I want to possess because that's what capitalistic societies base value on is your capital versus your self-worth. We're very, um, what was, is it meritocratic? I I, don't know. You're way too smart for me. Stop, man. Stop with that. But there, there's a merit-based system, meritocracy. So Mr. Like, o, Mr. O'Grady, can I call you Mr. O'Grady? <laughs> now, yes, Any, anytime you want. Okay, Mr. O'Grady, <laughs> you're way too smart for me. <laughs> but I feel like with the influence of sports and like what you said with the second baseman, and that's why I brought up where you're batting in the lineup, because right. like it, his father might come from the point of like stars bat third. Yeah. And my but son's that got the that arm. That is why you brought it up. All stars are shortstops. And well, it, pardon me, pardon me for stepping in here. No, do it. Um, you brought it up because you have an amazing capacity to rationalize answers. <laughs> All right. Hey, have a good night, man. I'm done with that compliment. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs>
There it is. Call it a day. <laughs> but am I wrong or right in that? I don't. I, I don't know, man. Like if I asked myself that, I would call it overthinking. Yeah. Which Where, is the same thing. Right? Yeah, right? Like it, it, it honestly fucks me up because I just try to run through so many scenarios to try to understand, right? To try to make sense of what's being done, what's being said. I do that. I do that fucking all the time, man. It fucks so me do up. you know when I was – several years ago, I was, I was invited to a world, world-class spa to give a presentation to the people that were at the spa. And I, I had a charming little interaction with an old woman who came there. And um, she was taking laborious notes, sort of like you are doing now with me. I can't see you, but I could see her. Yeah, really, it's just an index card, and I have two bullet points. But go ahead. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so she she would take laborious notes, and so it, at the we had a little bit of a break, and I went up to her and I said, "God, what are you writing down?" And she said, "You're saying so many valuable things." And I just want to write everything down because, like, I live in a world where what if this happens? I want to know what to be able to do. And I said, really? Tell me about that. She said, Danny, you don't understand. She didn't say Mr. Levin. She said, Danny. <laughs> she said, Danny, you don't understand. I have 40 big journals written on every single page, front and back, with what if scenarios so that I'll know – if this happens, what if this happens, I'll know what to do. Mm. And it's filled with the guidance of all the people that I've met and, and, and things that I've figured out. And I said, that's fascinating. How many times have you opened them up and, and referred to them? Zero. She said, never. <laughs> I've never opened them up. But it comforts me so much to have them. Hoarder. <laughs> I said, would you do me a favor? I said, do you have a fireplace in your house? She said, oh, yeah, we have a beautiful fireplace. I said, will you do me a favor tonight? Will you go home and make a fire and take all 40 of those books and throw them in there? She said, no, you're kidding. I said, no, it's your assignment. If you want me to coach you, that's your assignment. I want you to throw away your what-ifs. Because your what-if scenarios rob you of what if you would just let life guide you in this moment. Like what's being asked of you right here, right now? And just listen to it. We've forgotten how to listen. You know, I'm a storyteller, so I'm probably going to tell another story pretty soon. So just, just to reinforce that, and so my daughter really got into Naked and Afraid. And again, this goes to my ignorance about television. So not to mansplain or anything. Do you know what Naked and Afraid is? I've heard of it. Yeah, I think I actually saw something. They they cover up people's nakedness, but they're in the, they're in the jungle and they're on a date with people they're naked and they're afraid and they have to figure something out. I don't know. That's about yeah. as much as I know. So it's not a date. It's a survival show. But okay. you got everything. You nailed everything else. So they get dropped okay. off, whatever, in African desert, South American, blah. And you're surviving with like a machete, a fire starter, and a pot. And it's 21 days. Two people, naked, deal with the elements. So my daughter loves this show. So what I started doing with the podcast was um, messaging them to have them on. Yep. So I had one guy who'd been on three times, three times, and he went 21 days alone in the African Sahara by himself. And his number one takeaway was, I didn't realize how much society had disconnected me to my intuition and gut 
until I was alone for those. By the fourth day, it wasn't like I was thinking or reacting. It was like I just knew. I was in tune. I was in touch. I knew this was the right thing to do. There was no doubt. There was no second guess. Whatever biologically is within me that says breathe, that says blink, that says <gasps> jump, like that was there for hunting, for surviving. And he was like, it is fucking glorious. Luke, like Luke was like, it was glorious to feel that. It made me feel alive in no other sense. And when you say that about like burn those fucking what ifs and can you just start trusting yourself? It's odd that society makes us less of ourselves. To, who, to said, who says society does that to us? Well, I, when you're removed, well, according to Luke, when he was removed from it, okay, it allowed him just... to get in touch with that. You don't think society, but... I guess that would go back to my like marketing capitalistic, this impression that you start feeling you have to be, you see blank. Like you see a Barbie doll, you feel you have to be a Barbie doll. You see a GI Joe, you have to be a GI Joe. You see Wheaties box again, marketing, right? Like you're just around well, inundated. But but only if you feel that you're a victim of the world that you live in. Ah. If you feel that the world is going to victimize you into making you what you think it wants you to be, then you play the game. And, and today, Barbie dolls, you're a Barbie doll, and tomorrow you're a fat, ugly person. And then the next day, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta color your skin because that's what they do. And then the next, next day, you have to shave your eyebrows because that's what's going on. And then the next day, you have to have red hair. And then the next day, you gotta lose thirty pounds. And then the next day, you gotta Trendy. run four miles. Yeah, you catch, know, catch the you're, trend. You're, you're living an unreal world because you are trying to be keep up with the world that you think you have to live in because you don't have the courage to just show up as yourself. But that's what I'm saying. So you, you don't call that society or maybe we're saying no. the same thing and I'm using the incorrect I, I, I term. I don't, you're, cause you're saying society pushes you in that direction. I'm saying there's nothing in society that can push me to do something that I don't want to do. Oh, self-empowerment. I'm saying when you know yourself, you go inside and you listen to what yourself is saying to you. And so say somebody doesn't like you, that's okay. They have every right not to like you. Say they love you, that's okay. They have every right to love you. You really have what? the same reaction, and I'm sorry to cut you off. And I'm, I'm yes. not, now I'm going to call you Dr. Um, yes. Just you, my, <laughs> no, call me dentist. I would like because I'm drilling down here. Um, shit. So you you actually have the same reaction to love and hate. Um, I don't have the same reaction. Yes and no. I love uh, how you love that. Okay. I do. Whether whether you love or hate me, whether you love or hate me, I have the same reaction to. Because I have no control over what you think of me. Got you. I when, but when I feel hatred, I don't have the same reaction to that as when I feel love. Got you. Yeah, that makes sense. So, really, for me, everything happened differently when I finished writing this book because. The people that I met, the stories that I saw, the things that I was telling myself over and over again, just exactly like the people that I met. 
They just weren't true. The people that I saw weren't at all the people that I thought they were. The stories that I tell myself aren't at all what they, what stories that are real in my life. And the, one of the foundation principles of this little fable that's as simple, it's an afternoon read. It'll take you three hours to read the whole thing. But one of the foundation principles of the mosaic is nothing is as it seems. Nothing. And the more convinced you are that you know something, the more convinced you'll become that you don't know anything. The only rule is there are no rules. The only absolute is there are no absolutes, right? We might like, get to a yes and yes on that. Yeah, right? I mean, like, nothing is what it seems. Yeah, and how and how beautiful and humbling is that reality? But we're all control freaks. We all want to say, no, I know exactly how yeah. it is. This, is. this is the way it is. I know what it is. I, I know better than you. I remember being in seminary. I was one. I left seminary one day before I became a rabbi. After being in there for five years in Jerusalem, Israel, and I left one day before I was a rabbi. Jesus, did you really? Yeah. Should I not say Jesus when I say that? God, now no, I feel you, terrible. No, you can say Jesus. You can say anybody you want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I remember saying to the Rebbe, pulling him aside, we lived, we worked, I, I was in a seminary, in a school, about 500 people. And what we taught in that school, there was a school two blocks away from us that taught something just slightly different. Still Judaism, still basic, but the way they understood the Torah was different than the way we understood it. And the Rebbe would say, they are wrong, because if we're right, they have to be wrong. That's the way it works in this world. Mm. If this is right, anything that's not this is wrong. Right? Yeah, the black and white. Right? And so I said to him, okay, that's just absolutely stupid. But if it's I mean, absolutely are, are, stupid. Are, are you going to tell me that out of the whole, everybody in the world, there's only 500 of us that know what's the right thing to do. <laughs> and, and he said, Danny, you have to believe that in this world of duality. I said, what happens when we go up and, and, and meet our creator? He said, oh, Danny, that's a world of unity. None of the worlds that we're following here exist. Everybody's right there. So I said, so why do we fight like this? He said, because that's the nature of the world we're in. We got to. I said, how stupid. Why wait until we get there to, to make the change? We, if, if we know that's the reality, let's go to the reality now. And the reality of everybody being right. And the reality of everybody being connected, of everybody being the same, of there is no difference between right and wrong. And there is no difference. That, because, look, there are certain people in psychology that would say, there's most people would say if you get angry that's a bad thing but there's certain schools of psychology that, that teach people how to be angry because they're so apathetic that anger is actually a good step for them to go to mm -hmm. you don't want to keep them there but the fact that they're putting out energy and they're getting angry in that moment means they're they're feeling something and they're and, and that's great and then you want to take them from anger to the next next sensation but for people who believe anger is always wrong, you'll never go there. There is nothing that is ever, ever anything. There is. Jesus. Yes. There what is. What can I do for you, my no son? <laughs> there is nothing 
that is ever say that one more time there's i don't know if i can it came out right we have to record we have to go back in the recording but i think i said there is nothing that is ever ever anything yeah i i love the nothing anything everything like i love playing with those words because and i don't even know like are are those fucking pronouns Uh, i'm not even like sure how to classify them i I already told you i'm not that smart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you keep keep playing that card, right? But I, I love the, the when those words are used, like "oh, everyone," is it everyone? Yeah. What are you What are yeah. you trying to influence? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to say by implying that when clearly that's not everyone? Well, nothing. Are we sure it's nothing? Well, then it's right. everything. No. Well, right. do we are do we understand when we hear the word everything? It's like yada, yada, yada. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, do you? Or can I just not clearly express it? So I'm going all abstract with it. Um, I love that. That nothing that is ever anything. So let me let me try and pull it in a little bit. What do you want to do? Tell me where you want to go. Well, so I'm trying to and like that was fucking I, I love that shit, to be honest with you. Just like going down thought trains, um, especially again with doctors like yourself daniel um i'm a so, trash man that's what i am. <laughs> you can still be a doctor and a trash man so we went from you being a 16 year old eating some ribs we got to one question oh. so my follow-up is not going back to the two other questions that you asked but okay how did you how did you get into the rabbi thing like just my so i work very linear like time-wise line i can see that yeah like like it (laughs) is it that apparent (laughs) not that it's good or bad but i just try to like figure out like so you're at this dinner it goes a certain way and we go and again me being like stereotypical we go from capitalist to now religious so not quite Okay. So when I decided not to go into my uncle's company, they had given me everything they possibly could. And their response to me was, you know, we, we're probably going to have to excommunicate you. Oh my God. Really? And, and I said, I completely get that because you're used to being able to control people with your money. Mm-hmm. And when people can't, aren't controlled by your money, you really don't know what to do with that. And, that, and I understand that. And I love you for that. And I want to just thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to see what a life with this much money looks like. And I really, I'm really thankful to you. And anyway, it's time for me to go to college. So I'm going to go off to college and we don't really have to think about being excommunicated now. I'm I'm leaving where I am and I'm going to go to college. And I went to college and I studied psychology. Couldn't tell. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and, and so, my hair, by the time I finished my second year of psychology, was down to my waist. Nice. And the mentor that I had was the man who had started organizational psychology. And he loved me, and I loved him. And he said, Danny, you're like my son. Another reincarnation of my uncle. Like, how many people in their lives have heard those words uttered to them? Yeah. Right. Not, I, I, I mean, that's why I say so many times I, I walked away from one of the most beautiful opportunities you could ever have. And I only realized in writing the mosaic, the reason I walked away from it, because I was looking for a heaven. And although these things were beautiful, they weren't the heaven I was looking for. Mm. 
So he said, I want, I want you to be, you're my protege then. I want you to, I want you to work with me and develop organizational psychology. I'm older, you're younger, you, we'll create it together and you'll take it over. It's going to be a huge field. Organizational, organizations need psychology more than people do. And I looked at him and I said, Lou, like, have you gone blind all of a sudden? I mean, look at me. I have hair down to my waist. I've got a long beard. Do, do you put the, this picture and the picture of organizations on the same page in any book that you're reading? Can you give me, just so I understand, organizational psychology, I'm basically going to like human resources with that no, and like how no. to put people. Or, yeah, can, Organizational psychology to show how stupid I was then and how stupid I am now. <laughs> um, it's pretty much exactly what I do now when I walk into an organization is I look at the, I look at what drives and motivates people within an organization to do what they do. And how people inter- and how people interact with each other, and the games that they play, and the roles that they take on with each other that that actually prevent them from being able to operate as one smooth unit. So because it's efficiency. Everybody needs to play their games. So it's just a, a well, I shouldn't say it's just, but organizational psychology is looking to make an organization more efficient. If you think of everything as if we think that people are people. And that nothing else is a person. But if you think of everything else as a person, if you think that everything in the world speaks to you, if you think your business speaks to you, if you think your your the house that you live in speaks to you, if you think the city that you live in and the earth that you walk on speaks to you, why our businesses also speak to us and they have personalities and they have things that they're trying to tell us. And when we listen to what the world is trying to say to us, when we listen to what our businesses are trying to say to us, they have some complicated problems that can't get figured out with a regular mind. We need to listen to what they're saying and work through the psychology of what a person wants to do, allegedly. But I didn't know that then. So I said, no, I can't do this with you. And you didn't feel you would be accepted because, and I'm just going to go blanket statement. It had nothing to do with being accepted. I, I, I felt like... I felt like I was putting on a jacket in the heat of summer that was made of wool and was and, and just scratched every single part of my body. It just wasn't who I was. Got you. But again, how short-sighted I am in the stories that I tell myself because now it's not too far away from who I am. But I didn't know that then. So I walked away from college. I took all my undergraduate classes to give me an undergraduate degree in psychology within two years. And so at 18 years old, I left college, dropped out of college, and put my thumb out on the road and hitchhiked around the world. I was heading en route to India because I thought, God, I'm looking for some answers. Wait, you found a road from America to India? I mean, it's sort of. No, I'm just kidding. Sort of. If you believe it, I'll stay there. It makes the short story shorter. <laughs> that would be another one, right? So when when I found the bridge. So from now on, I'm going to tell, just like I lived in Soho, I'm going to say, I exactly. found that road. Exactly. It went right from California to India, and it's just so short. It was actually a tunnel, and you got That's to know right. a password. But yeah. See, see, look how much how enjoyable it is to make up these fake stories. So I was en route to India, and I spent two years 
hitchhiking around the world to get there. Can I ask but, why? Why was the destination India? Yeah, because I felt that's what that's what appealed to my soul. I felt I had started studying meditation and yoga. I had, uh, I, had been, I had been doing some drugs, and the drugs that I was doing were were showing me a world that was different than the world that I was seeing, and no religion that I had seen was able to describe that world to me. But the Eastern world was able to tell it to me in a way that I thought I might understand. Gotcha. And so I, I, I had found somebody who I was going to go see and spend time with and, and try and learn from, and so I set out to do it. But I was stopped in Israel. We, I went, it was getting cold, and I, the two girls I was traveling with said, you know, we don't have warm clothes, it's getting cold. Why don't we go to a kibbutz? They'll take care of us for a little while. And I stayed on a kibbutz in Israel for nine months. I was working the farm. I loved it. I loved the community aspect. But they had no, they had no spirituality to them. I said, I just can't do this anymore. Can, so it is a kibbutz. And I don't even know if I can say it right. I don't want to be kibbutz. like... Kibbutz. Yeah. Kibbutz. Can I get like, a definition of that too because just like organizational yeah. psychology i definitely don't know what a kibbutz is okay a kibbutz there are two types of there there are many types of living situations in israel but because israel is a is a unique country and because people wanted to band together to help each other out not everybody lived in individual houses what some people lived on something that was called the moshav a moshav was you had your own house but the work you did, you would do with other people from your community. So if you, you didn't need to have your own tractor because you could have somebody who uses the tractor, who has a tractor to use your truck, to use their truck. And, but you lived in your own house. A kibbutz was a more of a communal situation where people lived together. The children were brought up in, as the children in, a, in, in, in schools together, not in their parents' home. And they studied together and they became friends with the other kids and they came home on the weekends to be with their parents. But during school, and it was all on the same, on the same property, but during school they stayed with their friends. So just, and they ate together in, in, a, in a dining hall and they, they, they had meetings together. In the Moshav, it was more everybody had their own place, but they just helped each other with some of the work they were doing. Got you. So I was on a kibbutz, and I loved it. I loved the communal aspect of it. I loved how everybody was a part of everybody else's business. Somehow it was just fab fabulous to me. But then when it got to the place where I just wanted to fulfill my soul, there was nothing there. And so I had to leave, and I thought, hold it, I'm going to come and move to India anyway. I've wasted enough time. I've spent enough time here. I've been scared to go to India, so I'm done hiding here. I'm going to go. And so I went to Jerusalem, and it just happened to be the high holidays of Judaism. And so I sat in meditation at the Western Wall, and I thought, well, I'm just going to sit here and pray for my trip to India. And I had in the back of my mind been told about a man who was up all night, like people that visit him, between 2 and two and 4, 2 and 6 in the morning. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try and go see this guy to see if I can get a blessing for my trip to India. And so I sat and I went to see him that night and I got there and I was seven miles away from where I was and I was walking there because I had I had so little money left and I was I didn't want to spend any more money in Israel because I was leaving in two days to go to India, go overland to India. And so I walked there and when I got there, it took me about an hour and a half to walk the seven miles and I got there and they told me, oh, we're so sorry. He, 
he had a hard fast because on Yom Kippur people sleep, people fast. And he was an older rabbi and he had a hard fast and they said he's sleeping now, but please come back tomorrow. And I said, yeah, right, this is just a big hoax. He's, you know, here's a guy that's up from two to six. I'm a sucker. I come, I, 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 I spend, I'm going to spend three hours walking in the middle of the night to see this guy back and forth and he's sleeping. Yeah, big deal. I'm going to come back tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely no friggin' way. As I walked back from his place that evening, have you ever been in a synagogue? I have not, no. Okay. So in a synagogue in the back in the in the middle of the of the of the uh dais where where the rabbi gives his prayers from, there is a place that houses the Torah. That's there's a place that houses the Old Testament. And it's in a scroll and on in, in most synagogues on both sides of that scroll are carved out wood carvings of lions. They're called the lions of Judah. Well, as I was walking down from seeing him in my sarcastic, yeah, like, sure, this guy's some holy man. It wasn't lions that I saw, but I saw two German shepherds. Oh. And, and these German shepherds were not nice to me. They were sniffing at me and trying to bite me. And seven miles is a long walk at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning anyway. With two German shepherds on your tail trying to take you out, it took even longer. So I got home to the front of my friend's house where I was staying, um, a little bit, a little bit scarred. My leg had been bitten into, my arms had been bitten into, I was bleeding in certain areas. And I just thought, there's no way in hell I'm going back there tomorrow. Not even, not even if God came himself and said to me, it's time for you to go, let me take you. But the next morning is, uh, the next morning came and I just prepared myself for my final day in Israel and getting ready to fly out the next day to from from Tel Aviv to Turkey. And then I was going to fly into Turkey and into Istanbul, and then I was going to go from Istanbul overland to into India. Hitchhiking and then getting rides and doing whatever I could do through lands that I had no idea where I was going. But it was fine. It was exciting. It was fun. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up wide awake. And the woman I was staying with said, what, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. I'm wide awake. I'm just, I, I, I'm probably so excited about going to India tomorrow. Or, or going over that, going to Turkey tomorrow. Maybe you heard a dog bark and you were like, fuck, man. I totally, totally. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I said, I'm just going to take a walk. And once you know it, 20 minutes into it, I'm walking the same route that I walked the night before. I'm, I'm walking like transfixed back to the Rebbe's place. And I knock on the door and they say, oh, good, you came back. The Rebbe's been waiting for you. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Nice, great lines. I'm sure you practice that, that a lot. <laughs> Why, can I, Just to pause you, where's the skepticism coming from? Because you, you, to me, you seem pretty spiritual on this journey. So why like fight the spiritualism of it? Because he wasn't, he wasn't awake when I went to see him. I, you know, I, I just, I, I was so used to people trying to say they were something other than they were. And I read about him in a book mm. called the Pilgrim's Guide to Planet Earth. And some of the places I went were just completely abolishments. They weren't anything close to what I said. So I said, it's probably another sh shyster doing something. You know, gotcha. Okay. But they but they walked me into his to the room where he was sitting and he was an older man with a long white beard. 
and there were six other guys sitting around the table with him. And when he, I came, some the weirdest thing happened, Sean. Has, have you ever had your arm go like numb with pins and needles and you, you literally couldn't even move it? You had to pick it up with your other arm and move it? I feel like I should say yes. Um, but you have feel, no, fuck no, no. Okay. In, in, right. Unless I like fell asleep in a class or something when I was Yeah, younger. but so say, so did your leg ever fall asleep? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, hundred percent. Yeah, I've got okay. n- not not in the sense that I feel like you're going, but in the sense that I'm lazy. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> my my whole body fell asleep. Holy shit! I was awake, but my whole I couldn't move my body. My whole body went pins and needles. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't do anything. And there's a chair that's open at the table, and he's motioning me to come forward, and I can't move. I felt as if he put a force field in front of me that I couldn't get past. And I'm standing there for for what seems like hours. It was probably only about five minutes. But this was before there were computers and before downloads happened. But this guy was completely downloading my system into his system. And I felt it. I felt like he knew me better in five minutes than anybody had ever known me in my life. Wow. And finally he looked at me and he said, won't you come sit down? And I had been trying with all my energy, but now the force field went and I lunged because all my energy was trying to get to that chair. And he looked at me like, that's a little weird. And I sat down at the table next to him and he said, ah, so tell me about yourself. How long have you been in Israel? I said, I've been here nine months. And he said, oh, what have you seen? I said, I've seen north, south, east, and west. I went all around Israel. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm looking at this guy like, you know everything about me. Why are you asking me these stupid fucking questions? You really, like, that's a legit, now, so, and again, That's what I thought. I didn't say it to him. Oh, no, no, yeah. And feel free to slap me if I say this in a. I wish you were closer. I'd like to slap you a lot of times. <laughs> right, no doubt. But. <laughs> What, what I'm wondering is, are you almost feeling this when your body goes to sleep? I'm just going to call it when, when you get those tingles. Are you feeling like he's causing it or are you yeah. feeling the it, universe, it, this spiritual? No. Hey, this guy, this guy was putting up a force field. He was drawing out of me everything that I was. And I could Holy feel shit. Like, dude, how did you not piss yourself? I don't know. I just didn't. I just happened not to. I did just about everything else you can do that embarrass myself, but not that. God. And so, and so finally, I looked at him and I said, "I'm sorry." I said, "You know me better than any person that's ever known me in my life." Five minutes in. Holy five shit. Five minutes. Five minutes in. Holy shit. Why are you asking me these questions? You know what I've come for. I've come here to get a blessing to go to India. Will you please just get to it and give me that blessing? Remember, everything I was was why waste time <laughs> on, on anything. Get to where you want to go, right? He looked at me and he said, get out of my office. Oh, that had to be hurtful. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't think I understood your Hebrew because I couldn't have said what I thought you said. He said, how's your English? Get the hell out of my office. <laughs> Here's a holy man. Here's a holy man that I that I made fun of the night before. Right. That I I endured the, the attack of two German shepherds for six miles on my on my walk back. That I finally came and sat with. 
telling but I felt I felt like in five minutes he knew me better than any anybody I ever knew. I'd come to get a blessing to go to India and he threw me out of his office. That was not the desired result. Can let me ask why was the blessing to go to India so important? Why did that matter so much? Because I was going on a spiritual journey and I thought, well, what what would it hurt? Like here's here's my chance to have to have a holy man bless me so that I can I can see something that I would never see before. So you really felt his blessing would oh my god he, he open he your eyes or whatever he literally stopped me in my tracks and so he said okay if you're not gonna I said I'm not leaving he said what do you mean you're not leaving I threw you out of my office. <laughs> I said, I understand that you did that, but you can't do that. I'm not leaving. <laughs> so he looked at the six boys he was sitting with, old men, all long white beards, and he said, yellow. And he tapped them on the, on the arms, and he said, let's go. We're going to a different room. And so he said, if you're not leaving, I'm going to leave, because there's nothing left for me to do here. So I sat there for an hour and a half. And finally, in Judaism, in order to say certain prayers, you need 10 people in the room. So sun, sun, sunrise was coming, and they were looking to say the morning prayers. And there were only nine of them in the, in the, in the synagogue at that point, at, at the, in the place that we were in at that point. In time. Opportunity knocking. So I, they came to me and they said, are you Jewish? And I said, yeah, I am. I said, I don't know any of the prayers. They said, it doesn't matter. Just sit there and shut up. <laughs> So I sat down, I shut up, and I saw him looking over the corner of his back, and he saw me, and I said, okay, you're going to owe me one, because now I gave you an opportunity to say some prayers, so we're sort of even. <laughs> he walks He walks out with his guys, and he goes to another room. I go back to the room I'm sitting in. Nobody, Nothing happens, and nobody comes. I walk out, and I get one of his students, and I say, can you please tell the rabbi there's somebody here to see him? I've been waiting for it for a while. They said, oh, we're so sorry. I bet he doesn't know you're here. I said, maybe. <laughs> How do you go? Like, you're just trying to con the helper at this no, point? No, no, I'm not trying to con him. I'm, I want, I do not want to leave there without something from this man. No, yeah, but I mean, you're playing it pretty coy at that point, dude. That's... Yeah, of course, because I, I, I wanted what I wanted. <laughs> so... The rabbi comes in and he looks at me, he turns around and he starts walking out. I said, stop. And he looks at me like, who the heck are you to say stop to me? And I said, you can't do this. I've sat here now over the course of two days. I've come here to learn something from you. I may be as obtuse as a, as a piece of, of brick, but I've come here to learn something. You have to give me the right to try to teach me what I need to learn. So he turned around and he said, okay, why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll sit with you and we'll have a discussion. Oh, he got you a third time. <laughs> and so I said to him, you can't, you can't do that. Tomorrow I'm leaving, I'm leaving to India. That's why I'm here. I want a blessing to go to India tomorrow. He said, uh, I told you what I could do. Come back tomorrow. Wow. But you're, you're not going to listen to me and that's why I threw you out. You say you've been in Israel, north, south, east, and west. You say you've seen it for nine months or for, or, or some, some years, whatever you said to me. But you haven't seen a thing, sir. 
Because if you saw anything, you would not be leaving to go to India. You would be staying right here. If you saw anything in our interaction, you would be staying right here with me. But you still want to go to India, so go. You won't see anything there either. Wow. If you want to learn how to see, come back tomorrow. Sign sealed delivered. And I said, I can. I'm leaving. Uh, I'm leaving. There's no way you got on that plane then. Not after your body goes numb. Come on. What are you like psychic now? <laughs> that, well, I mean, like you, you're. <laughs> I just, I, I'm gonna put three mortgages on the fact that you let the German shepherds bite you more, and you <laughs> stayed, and like that, that. So that's the guy, right? I just made a lot of money. I just made a lot of money. No. You no, you're left? Right. You're right. You told the right story. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, how do you leave? Dude, that, but how hard is that decision? Are you like all so, in because of what you, you felt? Uh, let, me, let me answer it all up for you. Yeah, right. I shouldn't interject, man. I'm sorry. No, you I couldn't jump help in. Myself. This is what makes conversation interesting. Otherwise, I'm just, dude. I might as well have a pulpit somewhere where nobody's interested. That's so true. But like, I'm like, dude, just, just hearing who you were at that time. Like, and, and that, that drive, like that had to be fucking tough to be like, no, the plane, my goal, this is what I do. But feeling what you felt, Jesus, what, like, a, what a conundrum. So add on to that, that I was, I had no money. I had bought a non-refundable ticket. Oh, I couldn't afford to lose that ticket with on the, on the whim of some old guy that I had a big experience with that then only a few days later I would leave and go again. Right. And have to buy it. And so I was, I was like lost. I said, I said, look, you're going to have to do something. If you want me to stay yours, not to him I, on the way back. Yeah. No, Seeking no, German, no German shepherds were attacking me on the way back. It was <laughs> I said, look, you know, something's going on here. Clearly you're going to have to do something. So the next morning I wake up, I take a shea root of cab from Jerusalem. Tel Aviv, and I get to the airport. I'm plenty early because Israeli security is really tough. And I'm standing in line. There's a lot of people because they check everybody. I'm at the back of a long line. I'm wondering if I got there early and early enough. And I'm worried. I'm, I'm shaken by the night. I'm shaken by the trip. I'm shaken by just about everything. This guy comes up to me and he goes, you, oh, shit. Point, pointing his finger at me. And he said, come here. And I went, okay, well, like, what did I do? I'm just standing here in line. He said, just shut up and come here. Fuck. And, he, and he brings me to the front counter. And he calls for the supervisor. And the supervisor comes out and says, what are you doing here? I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I was just standing in line. I'm trying to get on a plane to Istanbul today. I'm at the back of the line. This guy came up and pulled me out of line. I, I, I'll go back to where I was standing, please. I, I don't mean to mess with anything. She said, shut up. <laughs> and I said, what is going on here? Dude, I, I so j just to like me perspective, and I feel like almost any other person you're, you're young at this point, right? Like you said, you left college. You're 1920 ish. Again, my linear brain. I was, I was 20 years old. 
Yeah. How fucking scary in a foreign country. And you're clearly, are, are you conversing in? I'm conversing in Hebrew, broken Hebrew, which I think I understand, but I'm never sure that I do. Yeah, I, dude. I have, hair, I have hair down to my waist. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a leather jacket to keep warm. And what it looks like a biker's jacket. I look like, you know, something that's cat dragged in because I haven't slept and I've been up and I have bites all over my arm. And, and it's almost like the decade and year does not matter in Israel. If you think of anyone who takes security serious forever, yeah. it's, it's like you, you don't want to fuck around with TSA. No, no. you, you don't want to get called out of line. A thousand percent. Like I, I, I and but but I can't imagine. Like I can't empathize. I can't associate where your mind was going, the fear factor versus the spiritual factor. Because when that man utters those words, that has to hit a chord. Oh God, yeah. I was like, I just gotta get. I just gotta figure out. My prayer is, get me either to get me either on this plane or get me off of this plane. That's all I gotta do. You just <laughs> right. gotta help me figure out which one of those two things all, I'm doing. All I need is a blinker. Just give I me just, a blinker. I just need to know what you want me to do. I don't need all the drama that's going on right now. So, God, that had to be so scary. Jesus. So the woman says to me, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, I think it's pretty obvious I'm trying to get on a plane. She said, sir, I'm going to tell you something. She said, I want you to come in the back room. I said, oh, did I do something wrong? Oh, fuck, the back room. And she said, just come with me and be quiet. And it's heavy militaristic vibe. And I go with her to the back room. And she said, um, I have to be back here because I don't want anybody else to hear it because I think I'm crazy. I said, what? Tell me what happened. She said, last night, a man who was a rabbi with, old, with a long white beard. Stop. Stop. Appeared in my dream. Stop. And showed me your face. Your, oh no. And he said, if you see this boy, do not, under any circumstances, let him get on that plane. Dude, you have to be making this up. There is 0% chance that is true. I wish there was. I wish that was the case. Uh, so a second time, how do you not piss yourself? Dude, if <laughs> someone out of the blue says that to... Oh, my God. Uh, uh, so I looked at her stop, and I said... dude. I, I said... I said... Um, I think I know who that was. She said, I don't care who it was. I never, I never want to see him again. Well, I asked you, what are you doing here? Oh, my God. So I said to her, well, I can tell you the story in Four Court Harmony if you want to hear it. You know, I, I went, I'm, I'm, I really want to, I have a ticket to go to, to a Turkey. It's non-refundable. I met this man last night. He told me he would teach me to see if I came back today. And I can't go because I have a non-refundable ticket and I don't have any money. She said, it's illegal for me to cash your ticket. I can't do it. She said, but I am so scared of the guy that I saw that I'm going to dip into my wallet and I'm going to pay you the price of your ticket plus an extra $300. Holy shit. If you ever see that man again, tell him I tried my best to, get, to do what he told me to do because I don't want to see him again because I'm scared to have him. Wow. I, I said, hold it. You're going to refund a non-refundable ticket. She said, shh. 
It's not a refund. She's buying. It's not it from a you. refund. I'm buying your <laughs> ticket from you. Oh my god! And don't tell anybody the story until you, until it's late enough that you can tell somebody the story. Statue of limitations. So I said okay, and so she gave me she gave me the money plus an extra three hundred dollars in cash. And I said, I guess I know what I got to do. I got to go back and see that guy. So I got I got my bag around my ball. I put it over my shoulder. I got into the I got another shade route and went right back to Jerusalem. And I showed up at this guy's place, and he he looks at me and he said, "Oh my God, you came back!" I said, "Well, you made it a little hard not to." <laughs> you dude, there's wait, 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 wait. So I know I already owe you my next three mortgages because I felt for that. <laughs> um, the balls on you, man! You it was actually it was just arrogance, right? Like you actually like, uh, went to that dude after hearing that woman's. Fear. Yeah, and I you said, were well, like, "What was I going to do? I was scared shitless." Oh my! And you, you being scared shitless makes you arrogant. Oh my! I, God. I, I had to defend myself. I put up my walls, just like we were talking about oh, earlier. Way to tie it back. You are an author. <laughs> so, author. so basically. Oh my God! So he said, "Let me get this straight. You decided to stay here and be a Jew." <laughs> I said, "I said, sir, please don't get carried away. I don't know what I'm going to do." This has been a very confusing day, but I do know that I'm here now, and I do want to learn to see. And you told me if I wanted to learn how to see, come back tomorrow. So I'm here. So he looked at me and he said, okay, I'm going to send you to this place, and I want you to be there for six months. But you can't learn with me yet because you, you have no idea what we're doing here. But in six months, you'll go there, and then I'm going to take you under my, under my tutelage. And you will be my student. And I will mainstream you into the work that you want to do. And I'm like foreshadowing like a motherfucker at this point. Like you said you walked away a day before becoming the guy that could get in a T Israeli TSA agent's dreams and stop people at an airport. Yeah. Stop. Stop, man. Come on. So, come so, on. Jeez, I know I'm linear. I cannot wrap my head around that. That, oh my God. Well, that's why I don't tell the story that much because either I'm crazy or, I'm, or I did too many drugs or it actually happened. And the least possible explanation is this stuff actually happened. There is, there is 0% chance that I'm saying it did not happen for the right. record because – it, it, in a funny way, I shouldn't say even a funny way, like the more I talk to people, particularly and especially on this podcast from different regions that I feel are completely unconnected unless I'm somehow like looped in on the matrix, way too many similarities and themes emerge with the connection in human psyche and like even just like electromagnetic fields or vibes that go out there. So if you're locked in like that, I would 100% say that guy could have influence over people to make things that he feels needs to happen or that things that need to happen, happen. So but, remember when we were talking about being able to walk into a room and watching people change the room? Yeah. He was one of those guys. I certainly was not because look what was going on. I was being blown around like a, 
like uh, you know. But how do you, how do you go away? Like, how does that not like seal the deal for you to be a rabbi? I guess would be my question. Like, <laughs> the, how does that experience not make you all in on that? It's getting too late for you, and it's, no, it's, I'm getting I'm getting hungry. Oh but, no! But there, come on, there man. Are, there are a thousand more stories. Jesus, dude, I am. Dude, remember I, I, I told you my life. I wish I would have grown up and stayed four blocks away from where, where our parents lived. But that wasn't my life. And the mosaic, the book that I wrote, is only a few, a very few of the stories. And when you read it, I wish I hope you will. You'll hear some amazing, amazing well, stories. I'm gonna go on the record to ask for a signed copy to be mailed to my house. Um, I would love to do that, dude. I, I fucking I got hammocks in the backyard, man. I would love to take an afternoon um, and okay. read it. So I would love to do that be, because you're hungry now. Now I feel like pinched a little bit. Um, do I? Well, we've all, we've only been talking for like six hours, right? Dude, it's two. Like this is like it's so interesting. Oh my god! Like how... well, it's interesting to you and me because we're involved in it. But who else? Who's bearing through this story? Um, Nobody. If they're not, well, like f- honestly, like fuck them if they're not about it. <laughs> like that's kind of again, like I you do it for me. I'm not doing it for acceptance. It's funny, I man. Like I, I do it because. It almost gives me a platform and an excuse to just listen to interesting people, worldly people for the most part, that have experiences that I've never experienced, but allow me, and again, I'm a, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a middle school teacher. Yeah. The, the perspectives I gain from listening to others speak help my understanding in dealing with all sorts of people, parents, grandparents, caretakers, no. kids, Co-workers, like I, 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 I fucking eat it up, man. To be honest with you, yep. I, I really right. do. So, like, if no one else listens, I appreciate your time because I am. <laughs> yeah, we're you're becoming my friend. That's so that's worth it. Yeah, yeah, dude, hundred uh, percent. So, let's try and fast stream it a little bit. So I go back to see this guy after while I'm. Well, I go to the place where he sends me to. And I walk in, and this has been a big day, and now I'm not with the guy that I want to be with, but I'm with some the guy that he sent me to. And I walk in, and there's a Rebbe behind his desk just singing and dancing. And I walk up to him, and I say, oh, God, like where, what's happening here? What goes on here? And this guy's a big guy, and he hauls off, and he punches me as hard as he can. Holy shit. In the heart. Oh, and then with the other arm, he puts his arm around me and hugs me. He says, you know why God gave us two arms? I said, if you're going to hit me again, I have no interest in finding out. Just don't, please, please, don't, please don't touch me again. That's totally inappropriate. And he said, um, one arm is to slap you into shape and tell you we see what, what you're doing. and we got we got to get you aligned. You're out of alignment. And the other arm is to tell you we do it. We're doing it because we love you. Mm. and we love you so much we can't let you just continue to go on the way you're going so if you want to know what goes on here we're going to pull it we're going to we're going to attack your heart and we're going to pull at it and pull at it and pull at it until every person you meet feels a piece of it i said are you going to continue to hit me he said that's the last thing i'll do ever <laughs> and i said okay let me i'll stay here for a little bit 
Three days later, I went back to see the Rebbe who I saw, who had sent me that. He completely ignored me. I went up to him. I said, Rebbe, I'm Rebbe. I'm here. Remember, I was here, and you said, you said, come back. Right? Dude, the mind games that are going, like that, well, I take it as mind games at this point. The next day, he left his body. Wait, died? Died. Shot. Oh, my God. So now I was in, not with the guy that I thought I was going to be with, but with another guy who just hauled off and slugged me, but somehow he liked me and he hugged me and he, and, and he said, we're just going to, we're just going to take, take you. And it was a yeshiva. It was a seminary, a Jewish seminary. I knew nothing about anything. And I was in this seminary and I became like his son. He wanted me to marry his daughter. Third time you've said that. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you must yeah. you must be magnetic i feel like i want you to live in my basement so i can support your dreams <laughs> Thank you. i'll be the fourth one hey man I, come I, on over i'm ready i'm ready but you're, you're in delaware okay i could probably put up with it for a little I'll, bit <laughs> I, I i've already gone to your paypal you have a plane ticket in there you're good to go come on home son oh my god all these people dude that's fucking amazing so what I think happened is because I lost my father as a kid. Right. It's as if my father came back to me and all these different people. And if you read the mosaic, what you'll find is all the characters that I met along the way at the end of the book turned out. Let me, when did you write the mosaic just as a side? Two years ago. So this is like a real true, like, life story reflection this wasn't yeah but it, it's mainly true i made up some characters because i wanted to meet them for the first time like the reader like the reader was going to read them but not many oh well I, and i guess i meant it in a different way like i was thinking in my mind like the mosaic was written closer to the passing of your parents no no but no i couldn't i, couldn't, I, I wasn't i wasn't free enough to re, to write it then because i was too torn up by for many many years i was too torn up by my parents passing to ever let it ever talk about it which is kind of what what got you on the path i'm assuming yeah totally got you i didn't mean to sidetrack you man um, no you didn't i don't even know where i was going you know stop man you're being coy like you're fucking <laughs> you're you're with the guy who you don't want to be with Although now you're no, feeling... I want to be with you. I never. Said no, 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 not me. No, I'm going back to the story. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going back to the story of me moving into Delaware. Uh... <laughs> Way to get there. Way to get there. <laughs> like, absolutely. Is it a Casper mattress? <laughs> For sure, I'm there. I feel like I'm in an Abbott and Costello movie here. <laughs> that's, dude, half of my life. That that that's so true. When they're like. Can I ask you a question? You already did. Boom. And you're like, I don't get it. And you're like, yeah, I'm just an idiot. I'm sorry. Um, Yes, go ahead and ask me a question. Um, But no, like in my mind, I'm thinking of this book that you're referring to and or the mosaic. I shouldn't say this book, the mosaic that that you wrote. And like it's it's starting to, I guess shape itself a little more because it's amazing to me. I didn't think the journey would be, and I shouldn't say lifelong because I don't want you to pass, but like a lifelong ish journey afterwards. 
Like that's fucking, dude, that's cool. That, that's dope as hell. Well, it is if it's you looking at it. It isn't when it's your story, when it's my story. It's scary uh, as hell because you want to be, remember, I'm a guy that wants to get to the end as quickly as possible. You want those answers. And I wanted to get them and then I didn't find them until about two years ago. And that's what well, allowed you to write the book. When I realized the heaven that I was looking for was in the change of perception that a person would have when he first meets somebody and sees them one way and then changes his perception to see them another way. And that pivotal moment where we change the way we see the world from something we don't see to something we do see is where heaven lies. Would you call it perspective? I would call it perspective, a change of perspective, a perceptual shift. Other people might call it alchemy if you wanted to do that. You look at exactly the same thing, but suddenly it looks entirely different. I, I feel like we're at a fork in the road, at a natural fork in the road. Um, you had to say a fork in the road because you know I'm hungry. So I'm going to go get a knife and be in that with that fork and cut up the road meat. Jesus. All right. So if, if you... Yes, sir. If, what do you want? Remember, if, I'm Jewish. I know. You, call, you invoke the name of my brother, Jesus. Yahweh. Yahweh. Let me ask you this. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so, so, and I don't want to keep you on because you, you are hungry, but Jesus, man. Yeah, we could do fucking 38 different... My, my mind's just rattled right now. All right, let me do. Let me ask you this, and I'm gonna ask okay. you to pivot, and we'll wrap it up with this, Danny. Okay. I wrap up my podcast, so be prepared to tell me an interesting, off the story. beaten path story. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I got. I don't know if I'll be able to think of one. No doubt. So wait, <laughs> do do you know what I'm about to say? Have you actually no, listened no. to a podcast all the way through? No, how can I do it? They're five. They're fifteen hours long. What am I going to? You think I have Jesus. nothing to do with? No, teasing. No, I haven't ever listened to the end. I've listened to some of your podcasts. Okay. Well, and and, and I want to make like a masculine joke about me lasting so long, but I won't yes. because it's I a think lie. You should. Because well, it's a lie. Um, it's a farce. <laughs> so, so what? How I end my podcast are? Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best first for last? What does that mean? Oh, you know what it means. Don't, no, I have no don't, idea what that means. You've My been to the, you've been to the north, south. Last. You've been to the north, south, east, and, east and west. You know, no. Okay. So it's the, it's the best first experience for last on the podcast. Like the best fucking cool story. First oh, okay. time so I, the, be the best thing that's ever happened to me, and we want to save that till the end. Well, the best, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, any way you want to take it. I always think of it like I'm into alliteration, so I like yeah. the best first for last instead of just okay. best for last. Okay. Um, there have been so many I can, amazing situations, as you can tell. No, fucking no doubt. Um, but if I, if I had to really think about it for just a moment, the story I would tell you is the one of my, the greatest gift I've ever been given. 
and I've been given a lot of gifts. My wife is an amazing gift. But the greatest gift I've ever been given was the gift of having a developmentally delayed child. Wow. She's now 30 years old. And there were times when, believe me, I didn't think that she was the greatest gift I was ever given. I bet. There were times when I just went crazy because my wife passed away four years after she was born. My wife got late stage breast cancer and four years after that, Holy she shit. passed away. And so I was a madman who told my wife I'd never change a diaper. And she's 30 years old and I'm still changing diapers. And so for about 12 years, I raised my daughter on my own. And the beautiful thing about my daughter is she doesn't speak like you and I speak. No one understands her when she speaks. She's getting better now and people are starting to understand her more. But for a little while, I was the only one that could ever really understand her. But there were times when I didn't understand her showing me. Jesus. And when I did understand her, what she would do is she would yell. Right. And to her credit, sometimes when she yelled, the way she would yell and pronounce her words were slightly different. And so I started to understand what she was saying, even though I really didn't most of the time. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while it happened. But most of the time what was happening is now something I didn't understand was just being screamed louder at me. <laughs> when I didn't understand that, what she ended up doing is she tantrumed. And that could be in the middle of a restaurant, that could be in the middle of a walk on, on, along the beach, it could be in the middle of having people over to our house, it could be driving in the car, she would just go apeshit and go crazy and yell and scream. Right. And and whatever she did, like a kid, like a two-year-old, but she wasn't two years old, she was bigger. Yes. And when she tantrumed and she didn't get, no change happened. She would try and attack me. So she would either try and rip my shirt or bite me or both. And Sean, that went on for, I'm going to say about 10 or 15 years. God. Not every day, but many days. Yeah, it's situational. And sometimes those days, sometimes in the, the course of a day, that happened four, five, six, ten times a day. And I just, I just got to a place where I just looked at her and I said, Elisa, I love you, and I just can't put up with this anymore. I don't understand you. I don't know what to do. And suddenly, from the quietness of my mind, because I just I couldn't think of anything else to do, I said to her, Elisa, can you find a way to speak to me without using words? I just don't understand your words. Can you say something to me without words? And from the midst of her rage, she had this smile that would just melt your heart. Oh, my God. And she looked at me, and in perfect English, she said, I am daddy. Wow. I looked at her. I said, what the hell are you talking about? You are daddy. <laughs> like, how come it's taken so long for you to tell me this? How are you doing that? And she took her forefinger, and she put it to the side of her head. And what I understood from that is because she couldn't speak, she was gifted in another gift, not the gift of words, but the gift of telepathy. Holy shit. And she was telling me, I've been putting thoughts in your head all along, Daddy. And I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? 
And she started laughing hysterically, that contagious laugh that you just can't help but do anything but laugh with her. And as soon as she would die down, I would just keep going, the tears streaming down from my eyes and her tears streaming down. And we were laughing that joy of finally understanding that we could understand each other and hear each other and talk to each other. And you know, from that day forward, she's never yelled. Oh my she's God. Never, she's never tantrumed. And she's never attacked. But here's the amazing thing, Sean. That wasn't enough amazing? That isn't enough. Jesus. <laughs> what's, what's amazing to me is that every person that I know, every, every, every team that I've worked with, every department that I've been in that I've worked with, government officials and their, and their cabinets, CEOs and their executive board, employees and the people that they work with, um, schools, the teachers and their children, every single one acts out the same thing. When they speak and they don't get heard, they yell. Oh. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a scene, they create havoc, they try and create chaos. And when they create chaos and they don't get heard, they attack. That could be shooting people in a, in a, in a square. That could be putting a bomb in a building. That could be blowing up a, 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 a relationship. It could be destroying a reputation. And look what's happening now, uh, right yeah. now, in, 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 our, in our beautiful country of America where black people have not feel her, felt heard for 400 years. I'm so glad. And it, it, it's very short-sighted, and I don't mean to take away from um, how well – because you just you speak so much weller than me, but like I was so happy that Kaepernick was brought up at. It's been yeah. two years that he was speaking to you in a peaceful way, and you fucking you, you just annihilated this man. Yeah. And now all of a sudden that we're yelling and there's chaos. You wish that all we did was a peaceful protest during a national anthem yep. when everyone was together. Totally. I mean, that, that chain of events that you're speaking of, it seems to be completely in line. I mean, like it just makes sense. It's real. So I, I, I work with teams of people to do, to teach them what my daughter taught me, a developmentally delayed 30 year old girl. God. And, and I'll tell you one last story because I just want to get it in. Please. And then I gotta go. No, please. You know, I told you I had the opportunity to meet and, and mix with some of the richest people in the world. Not because I went to their classrooms or I heard them talk or I heard them address big conferences of people, but as friends around their dinner dinner table. I, I either knew their children or I knew them or I knew I knew their children through them or their parents, you know. I had the opportunity to be with some of the richest people in the world as friends. I would talk to them about my problems. They would talk to me about their problems. And we would just sit together and help each other. Beautiful, beautiful opportunity to be with these people. And at the same time, I had the most beautiful opportunity to sit on street corners with some of the poorest of the poor. People that you couldn't even imagine could be so poor. And I sat with them and we did the same thing. They would talk to me and I would talk to them and we would just love each other and take and be there with each other. And the story I want to tell you today is not about one of the corporate CEOs or one of the billionaires that I sat with at their table, but about a homeless man I met in San Diego. 
I was walking down the street one day and it was cold. But the people around me had so much pain and I am a little bit empathic and I can feel people. And I felt so much pain as people would walk by me, a woman who had a bad back, I felt my back go out. And another guy had a bad knee and I almost fell down to the ground. Oh, and another guy had a, had, a, had a murmur in his heart and I could feel my heart murmuring. And I thought, oh God, I gotta get out of this thing. There's too many people coming by. I don't know if I can handle any of this. And I, I removed myself from the crowd of people and went to a corner and up there on the corner was a homeless guy. And when I came up, he was like really aggressive towards me. He said, get out of here. This is my spot. You're not gonna take my spot. I said, dude, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not here to take anything. From you. <laughs> I'm just trying to find some <laughs> peace, man. Back you, up, bro. You think you have it bad, but the people out there have it worse, and I'm sure you know that. And and don't worry that you won't make money. I'll give you 10 times what you make in your hat. And so let me just sit here with you. I don't want anything from you. I just want to sit here and escape the throng of these people. And so he was really, you know, standoffish with me for a while, but we sat together for a little over an hour. And in the course of that hour, I just started to talk to him. And he, saw, he saw that I didn't want anything from him. And he could feel how much I just loved him and accepted him. And, he, and so he started to open up. And I looked at him and I said, Corey, if you could do, if you could ask the people, you sit here and you watch the world pass you by. If you could stop these people and tell them one thing, it would make this world a better place. What would you say to them? Most people I ask that question to stop and pause. He didn't even pause for a second. He said, you know what I would say, Daddy? I would tell them, each one of them, to walk up to somebody they don't know, they never saw before, and just ask them how they're doing, and then just spend 10 minutes with them and listen to the response. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Don't try and help them. Just sit there and listen to them. And I said, okay, Corey, that's beautiful. But why out of all the things, you're homeless. You don't have food on your table. You don't have a house to stay. Why out of all the things that you could ask for, would you ask for that one thing? And he said, Danny, three months ago, being homeless is a hell of a place to be. And there's some days that are better than others, but the three months ago, I had a day that was the worst day that I've ever had. People would walk by me, they would spit on me, they would kick me, they would punch me. Mm. They would yell obscenities at me and they would just put me down. They'd make me feel like I was worse than the worst piece of shit that could ever be given in the world. And I thought to myself, what am I doing in this, in this world? I'm certainly not living the world in a world that I love. Right. And I'm, if I'm causing this much pain to people, I just decided I was going to go around the corner because around the corner is a street that's not occupied. And I was going to wait till evening and I was going to go around the corner to a dark street where nobody goes. And I was just going to take my life. Oh my God. He said, not two minutes later, two minutes after I had that thought, this man appeared out of nowhere and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked at me and he said, brother, how are you doing? And just the care that he showed me in that minute brought tears to my eyes. Big, huge tears came funneling down my face. And I said to him, not so good, sir. And the man didn't just walk away. He sat down next to me and he said, tell me, I'm here. Just tell me anything you want to tell me. And I cried and I cried. And he held me and, held, and, 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 
still hugged me close to him. And I just started talking to him. He said, Danny, you know, it only took about 10 minutes. And at the end of 10 minutes, I could no longer go and kill myself because somebody had taken their time to sit with me, someone they didn't ever know, never knew, never would see again, never saw before, and care enough about me to just listen to me tell them how I was doing. Wow. The power said, of connection. He said, Danny, I've never seen that man again. And he has no idea that that night he saved my life. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing, Sean. Corey has no idea that the story he told me has been told to literally millions of people through talks that I've been on, through conferences that I've attended, through podcasts and interviews and TV inter interviews and radio interviews that I've gone to, through stories that I've told to groups of people. He has no idea that his story has touched so many people. And it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. The butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what the action we are going to do will do to influence the world and change the world. So in closing, for me, it's my final place. If you could spend 10 minutes out of the course of your lifetime and just would sit with somebody you don't know and just listen to them. What an amazing world that would be. That's what I did in the mosaic without even realizing it. And that was what showed me heaven. And that was what changed the entire position of my life. Because between the mosaic and what I felt from the book saying to me that I should do what Mo did, I should get on the road and travel. And between Corey's story, what I realized is when COVID, I, was, I had made the decision to go May 1st to travel around the country and then around the world to just sit on street corners and listen to people, sit in corporate rooms, sit in, in government office buildings, sit in bookstores, sit in restaurants, sit wherever people were that didn't feel heard and just listen to them. And to film it like a documentary. Then COVID-19 came and I couldn't go. But COVID-19 won't last forever. It will not. And I will go back on the road and I will do that in honor of Corey and in honor of Mo. So my life has been completely changed by a developmentally delayed girl, a homeless man, and a mosaic. Jesus Christ, are you a wordsmith? You fucking slayer. Oh my God. Amazing. Fucking amazing, Danny. I, I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't know the reverence of your storytelling to call you title wise, but, and I, I, I guess I don't even want to limit it to storytelling because it's clearly um, personal. I don't mean to like depersonalize it. Now I'm fucking up all my words, but no, you're just rationalizing again. Just let it be. It's okay. There it is. <laughs> like, again, you're so fucking comforting, man. Jesus. Like, man, I, 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 it's, it's awesome. And I like, that's you're you're thinking exactly. And I guess what gets me excited is like, that was part of what I had thought, although you're putting it into a, um, 
much more applicable, broader, and um, tangible, touchable, impactful way where you're going out and just listening to people, man. I had no idea that you were doing that, dude. That's, But that is exactly what's needed. Like, just fucking listen. When you ask someone, hey, how's it going? All right. Ooh, why all right? Tell me. Yeah. Why just all right? Like, imagine the power that people feel when they're heard. And you're, 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 I mean, you're so fucking spot on with it, man. Jesus. I am so glad that, um, again, thank you for rescheduling that you, uh, persisted to, um, allow me to get to know you, man. I'm man. Fucking awesome. I don't even know what to say. Fucking awesome. I love being on the getting to know you pod. (laughs) Dude, I so appreciate it, man. And, um, your 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 website off of um again my limited uh social media stalking put me to shame and the um professionalism that you present yourself with i didn't expect the humanistic you i really didn't um it was awesome man it was awesome getting to know you i'm sorry that you got hungry I'm a little mad at your hunger, so if you yell at your stomach for me, I'd appreciate it because I was Thank hoping. You. I, was I hoping, need somebody to be mad at me for something. Yeah, I was hoping for about maybe four hours with the storytelling, <laughs> but I guess that would have been too much, dude. Well, you know, we we the beauty of the life we live is there's always another day. So true. Right. Very true, brother. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for just the opportunity to get to know you. You're a beautiful man. And I appreciate the space you hold for bozos like myself to ride the bus with you. Bozos. Stop, man. Come on, doctor. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. D- Danny, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being so open. Thank you so much for um, your relaxing voice when this posts. I can't imagine all the people that will go to bed listening to your stories, man. Like It's, it, it's going to be awesome. So you're telling me I'm going to be sleeping with a lot of people after this is done. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't want to take it further, but yes. <laughs> okay. So will you do me a favor? Will you make sure in the show notes that people can see how to get my book and how to get the, and how to get the websites? Did I send those to you? Yeah. So in the description, what I'll do is I'll put your, um, actually let's do this, man. Um, if you want to write what you want me to put in the description, yeah, I'll just put I'll just put something. I'll send it to you 100%. tomorrow, probably. Dude, that'd be awesome. I'd love it. Okay, and that'll be included. Right. So appreciate if, your if time. If any if any poor suckers still listening, they can get my book at Amazon. It's called The Mosaic, or they can go to the, to the mosaiconline.com and go to the shop section, and I'll autograph a copy for them, and it'll come with a bracelet. It's a be kind to you bracelet, and I'll send it to them, and they can have that um, pretty soon. Love it. Okay. Dude, awesome. Danny, thank you, brother. Love thank, you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for all your time. God bless. All right. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks to Danny for coming on the pod. I mean, dude just knows how to web a narrative together. It's fucking natural storyteller. Soothing. Soothing. You listen. Not only do you learn, but you feel better. (laughs) Thanks to Andre Psyche for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Go, please, right now.
to andrepsyche.com. I know you can multitask and your phone can handle two apps open at once. Go to andrepsyche.com for some trippy-ass merch that's worth checking out. And if you haven't already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, IG, Facebook. It's all one word, getting the number two. No, the letter U, pod. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. Just message us on any of the aforementioned social media platforms. Later.